Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to this week's episode of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. My name is Mary Dedrick. And Mary... Yeah? Dad? What's up? Just making sure I had the recorder on. Do you? Yes, I do. Good. It would have been a nightmare to record for a while and discover that Ooh. the light was blinking Ooh. rather than a steady a steady glow, which means taping away. We would uh, record tomorrow, <laughs> I think. Would. Is that right? Yeah. So... Mary? Yes? We've had a bit of a break mm-hmm. from our regularly scheduled mixtapes, but we're back. We're back in the mixtapes. We're back at mixtape time. And this mixtape, I believe, was uh, was uh, recorded in January, on January 16th. This was, it was finished January 16th, 2017. So pretty much six months, not six months, September to January. What is that? Four months? September, October, November, December, January. Five Five months? Depending on the day? Yeah. Around four to five months. I took some time off from, from this, uh, this, this task I'd set for myself. And I uh, came back energized, refreshed, and raring to go. I had songs I wanted people to hear, and I put them onto CDs, and I mailed them to them. And that, that's as simple, that was as simple as, as, as you could make it sound, I guess. Of course, I fussed and um, worried and fretted over them all, but I kind of knew what I was going to do. Let's let's uh, let me start with overall impressions of this mixtape, Mary. We never do that. We never. Okay, don't you have like any kind of feeling about it? Well, why don't I don't want to give away my feelings. Oh, you don't want to give away your feelings? No. Okay. That's okay. Well, like if I give away all my feelings now, what am I supposed to say for the rest of the time? I don't have any music knowledge. <laughs> I just say what I what I feel. Okay. And if I give it all away now, I'm gonna be silent for the next three hours. <laughs> okay. I, you know what? I doubt it, but... Uh, what? What do you mean? Oh, nothing. Just what to, are you trying to say? I'm, no, I'm not trying to say anything, Mary. I'm just uh, hmm. saying that... Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so we've had, we had a bit of a break ourselves. We took some... Uh, we, took, we went away on the weekend, had a recharge, went to a lake, went swimming in a lake. Yep. Went tubing on a lake. Yep. Went boating on a lake. Yep. And uh, had some fun. But now we're back at hard work. Which is this show, a labor of love? Is this is it hard work? This show? Hmm. I don't know. It depends who's who. Guess who's talking about it? I guess that's true. W- one of us comes in the door, mm-hmm. talks for a while, then leaves again. <laughs> the other one, that's true. The other one stays behind. And it's for... true. Does all the research beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> By that I mean I have to listen to all the songs. Ugh. And then I have to come in and talk for three hours. <laughs> Oof. Then I have to leave, and then I have to hear Dad talk about how he has to edit it. Oh, so much work! <laughs> That's it. I do make you pay by talking about how much I have to edit. True. So, not that I edit that much, actually. I just put the songs also true. in. I just put the songs in. <laughs> so this mixtape was done for a musician whose name was Bob Evans. Whose name is Bob Evans. I don't want to say was because that makes it sound like he's no longer Bob Evans. Thank you. Yeah. He's still Bob, Bob Evans. And he came to the show via Completely Beatles. He was a Completely Beatles fan. And he actually sent me a CD of music. And I'm going to play a song from it for you, Mary. Okay. And what he did was he plays acoustic guitar. Well, I assume he could also play electric guitar. But he mostly plays acoustic guitar. And so he did a 
uh, a CD where he adapted the Beatles songs to a six string guitar. And so he called it, I don't have the CD in front of me now. I think he called it four, four on six. And I'm sorry, Bob, if, if you're listening and I'm blowing the title of it, but I will remember it because I, I, I do think it's very good. And that's why I'm going to play a song from it so people can hear it. And uh, we're going to play that. Well, we might as well play it right now. Right, Mayor? Sure. All right. So that was uh, Bob Evans playing Norwegian Wood, kind of a jazzy take on that song. And that's sort of what the the uh, CD is. And I was correct. It is called Four on Six. I actually ran into the house while Mary was listening to this and, and grabbed the CD so I could check the label. And yeah, the idea is to um, is that he just sort of did uh, you know new arrangements or kind of did some little twists on, on the standard uh, songs, but all of them cool. played on acoustic guitar. So quite fun. So Bob had sent me this CD and then he also sent me a, a blank CDR. So I felt the pressure was on me though, Mary, when I did this, because I, I really started second guessing myself because I wanted to do songs. I wanted to do songs that featured guitar that I like as a way to like, you know, kind of connect 
to what he what he does, which is play the guitar. And so a lot of That's the songs, fair. not all the songs that I chose, but many of the songs I chose have a lot of guitar, a lot of guitar in them, and guitar that I like a lot. Cool. Duncan has been playing some guitar recently. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, He's been playing I Just Saw a Face by the Beatles. Okay. And others. <laughs> That's very general. Yeah. It almost implies that you weren't listening while he was playing. Mm, it's hard to not. <laughs> it's hard to not. It's in, in quite a small place. Okay. <laughs> no, he hasn't actually been doing it as much recently. This was more a couple months ago. Okay. I think okay. he was playing Me and Julio down by the schoolyard as well. Oh, that sounds like a Paul complicated Simon. song. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. He did like many years of classical guitar. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, so he's got some skills with like his head. seven years. Nice. He was in a band in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it was like a Led Zeppelin cover band. Okay, what were they called? I've asked him. He says he doesn't remember. That's Seems baloney. fake. Baloney. Seems fake. How do you forget something like that? Yeah. I'm going to say that the band was called No Quarter. Why? It's a Led Zeppelin song. Oh, okay. I could give it a different Led Zeppelin song if you prefer. Mm-hmm. What about Iron Dirigible? <laughs> okay. Do you get it? Yep. Okay. Do you know where the name Led Zeppelin came from? Uh... From Keith Moon, the drummer for The Who. Okay. When Jimmy Page told him what he was thinking of doing, he said, well, that'll go over like a lead balloon. Oh. So he, he said, ah, lead Zeppelin. Yeah. There we go. Got a name. And let's misspell it. Then we can trademark it. Oh, sure. I think there's actually... Oh, maybe it's not relevant, actually. <laughs> no, I don't think it's relevant. What were we going to say? Well, I was going to say... <laughs> I was going to say that uh, Stuart Wellington of the Flophouse... Mm-hmm was doing um, a podcast for a while, but it was like a, I think it was, I think it might've been a Led Zeppelin music podcast, Okay, but it was like, it like completely Beatles was very tricky to find because everything was spelled wrong mm. in the name, like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Right. But I, I can't remember what the, the title of it. I never listened to it. I'm not sure. I don't, really... I don't think completely Beatles is that hard to find. No, but I mean, it's one of those things where you say completely Beatles and then they're like, oh, okay. But then you're like, oh, but wait, it is spelled kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, like the like the uh, the name of the Beatles, the name of the Beatles, but also a movie about the Beatles, which came out in the eighties called The Complete Beatles. Oh, and it's spelled that way, right? Complete, like complete. Complete, like Isaac Walton's The Complete Angler. Oh, okay, so no e at the end. No e at the end. It's e a e a t. I always assumed that's where it came from. It wasn't until much later that I was. It occurred to me that it's a play on the Beatles yeah. thing as well. <laughs> so. I didn't realize. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that the Beatles, this is terrible. I didn't realize that the name the Beatles was spelled like wrong. Okay. It was like a joke mm. until I read a book that said that, that, like just like mentioned, it was like two characters talking. Yeah. They were like trying to name a band and they were talking about how the, the band name the Beatles is terrible. Yeah. Why? Because it's just like a dumb joke. Okay. I, that's not a dumb joke. It's based in, it's based partly in what, like they wanted to have like a insect name so they could be like Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Right. So then they chose the Beatles. Actually, they were right. originally called the Silver Beatles. Hmm. And then John Lennon, being an inveterate punster, decided it would be better if they put beat into yeah. the name. And they changed it, he changed it to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that referenced the fact that they were a beat group, a beat combo. Yes. No, I, I understand the joke. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's just a joke. Like, I think it exists outside of the joke. Now it does. I guess. You don't think it did before? No. You think if someone, if someone listened to the band The Beatles, uh-huh. and they said, well, who is this band called The Beatles? And then they went, spelled B-E-E-T-L-E-S? And they said, no, spelled B-E-A-T-L-E-S. The person went, hmm, I don't get it, and I don't like them. No, I don't I don't think so, but I think that I think that if they were not so popular, yeah. I think if when people looked at that, they'd mm-hmm. be kind of like, ugh. 
I get it. You know? You know what I mean? Sure. But I don't know. I I kind of disagree with you. I think that you are clouded. I don't think I'm clouded. I think that you are... You're thinking I'm biased, right? Yeah. But I'm not biased. I'm You're... just thinking in terms of like other bands' names from that time period. Sure. Theirs is, stands up pretty well. Like... Right, but no one knows Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Everyone knows Buddy Holly and the Crickets. No, right? people just know Buddy Holly. And, and the... yeah. also the people who know Buddy Holly are... They know the Crickets. Not particularly large. That is that is Paul McCartney's fault. That people don't know Buddy Holly? Yeah. You don't think it's because he died so young? But he left an incredible legacy of songs. Sure. And the problem, though, I think is that, and I, I've opined this in other other places, but is that because Paul McCartney owns the Buddy Holly song, like his, oh, his music publishing, right? he will not license Buddy Holly's music for, for commercials and things like that. Hmm. But in our modern times... That's how people know songs. That's how people know songs. Exactly. No one would know Feist. If it was not, not for, for one, two, three, four yeah, on the as, iTunes yeah, commercial. Yeah, the Apple, Apple mm. iPod commercial. Yeah, that yeah. made her career. Yeah. No one would remember, well, no one would know who Nick Drake was if they if yeah. Volkswagen hadn't used Pink Moon True. in one of its ads mm-hmm. in, in, in the 90s. That, that gave like a, a new life to, to Nick Drake's music. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's the least people could hope for nowadays, yeah. you know. And I mean, you know, it's not like a TV or it's not a, an ad, but um, What's Up by Four Non Blondes was in... Sensate, and okay. that like totally reinvigorated the song. Is that right? Like everyone was talking about that song that summer. Okay. That Sensate came out because it was like you're like, like ugh, a... I've been listening to that for years. No, not really. You haven't been listening to it for years. Not really. Oh really? I mean, like I knew of it, mm. but I was never like super super into it. Oh okay. But I mean, it's it's a good song. It was really it was used very well in that scene as mm. well. Mm-hmm. That can also add to a, to a song as well because it gives a new context to the song. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you know people have like an affection for it because of how it was used right yeah and it can go the other way of course as well but yeah, uh, mostly on a facebook group the other day i saw someone saying like oh like when are people going to stop setting action scenes to pop songs and i was like hey i like that you know <laughs> i really like like Shaun of the dead yeah when they're like going around and they're hitting the Don't bar owner stop me now yeah they're hitting like the bar owner with pool cues but they're doing it to the yeah, I don't really, I don't really like that very much either. I, have I like to admit. it. I find it too staged. No, nope, it's fun. It takes me out of the movie. Not me. Interesting. It's fun. We're different. You people. say that as a person who loves musicals. I do love musicals, but that's not a musical. No, it's not. But it's a musical element. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of just forced into the. I do like earlier in it when they're doing uh, when they're doing um, I can't remember what song it is. White lines, I guess, or something like that, with the zombies because they're going like uh, or whatever, and they're like, oh yeah. Oh, well, that that's just a short thing. They're just like singing it. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that use of music. What is it? They're like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And then it goes to him and he's like, oh. <laughs> then it goes back and they do the thing and turn back to him and he goes, oh. It's like the zombie. Yeah. That's good. But wait, what about Village Green? Preservation the, Society and... Uh... Yeah, is it Village... Isn't it Village Green? I, there's two songs that they use from Yeah. There. They're both from Village Green Preservation Society, the yeah. album. Yeah. One is the song Village Green Preservation Society. And one is Village one? Green. Village Green? Okay, yeah. yeah. And when he's running... He's like running around the town and they're singing that song because mm-hmm. it's a village. A village green. You know? <laughs> it's all right. I'm just saying, I like, I like Edgar Wright's use of songs in okay. movies. Okay. I also liked Baby Driver. They did that a lot in Baby Driver. They sure did. I liked it. Maybe that's why you didn't like Baby Driver very much. Yeah, maybe because I found that one sequence when they're going to get the guns. Oh, that makes me so anxious. Uh, and then they kind of time everything to, um, to uh, that song, Tequila. Oh, yeah. I just find it, yeah, it's just too stagey, like it doesn't... Well, the way that I think of it 
is not that the scene is being set to the music, yeah, but that the music has been set to the scene. <laughs> you know? I guess I know the song already, so I, I know that it hasn't been. What do you mean? Well, I know that tequila existed before. I'm not saying that tequila didn't exist before. Yeah. It obviously exists because it's in Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. <laughs> Where it's used much better. Yes, it is used much better there. What a good movie. Good, anyway, good is movie. this a... Is this a podcast where we talk about music. songs We're used about in music. movies? About songs used in movies and ads? Sure, why not? Yeah, why not? It's a music podcast. It's a listening Top party. Top five songs used in movies and ads. Oh, okay. I don't think you could do that. It's, you don't? It's so, yeah. so many. Yeah. It'd be pretty hard. You'd just be choosing like your favorite song. Maybe it'll be my favorite, top five favorite songs. Yeah, right. Or my top five favorite movies. Although someone challenged us. I think it was Ed Degransky actually challenged us to to come up with our top five favorite songs of all time. And that would be very difficult. I would have a, I would have to think about that. Like what I like, why I like to do top five themed ones is because then I just kind of like choose songs of the moment and yeah. I can put them into well, a list. The other thing is top five songs of all time. Yeah. It's very different from top five songs of right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like right now, as I had talked about, I was really into uh, hanging on the telephone by the nerves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like it would have gone into that like a month ago. Yeah. Now maybe not. Right. Like a lot of the time the songs that you like are very in the moment. You mm -hmm. know. Sure. Sure. It's like year to year it changes. Month yeah. to month it can change. Well, that that's it, and that's what makes like the time capsule of a mixtape interesting because you can go back and see. Whoa, Dad was really into field music when he made these. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I might not be as into them. I still am into them, but I might not be as into them now as I, don't I was think you're then. As into them now? No. I, who knows? I mean, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I wasn't choosing the songs. They were just coming up in shuffle when I was. Although to be honest, there's a lot of songs that came up in shuffle that I just I shuffled on by. Mm -hmm. And there's other songs that I went, ooh, this would maybe fit here. Ooh, this field music song might fit here. Ooh, this local rabbit song might fit here. <laughs> Sloan. This wait, Sloan song might fit. This J. Wait, is it J songs? This J song. This J Sloan song might fit. <laughs> Yes, yes. This poppy song that I feel like is much easier for people to get into might hmm. might fit here. So, speaking of music, Mary. Yes. I suppose what you're hinting at is that you'd like me to play the first song. No, I was just. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Play the first song. What's the first song, Dad? Well, the first song is called "Ask for Jill." Mm -hmm. Ask it, for Jill. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I just want to let you know. Yeah. You did send me the songs ahead of time. Yeah. But I try my best to not look at them. Okay. Because I find that if I look at them, then I tend to bias myself a little bit. Oh, all right. If I'm like, oh, I like that band, then I'm more likely to like the song. Yeah. Whereas if I go into it not knowing who it is. Yeah. Like sometimes, often I can recognize it. Mm -hmm. But if I don't recognize it and I don't like it, then I'm like, oh, I wonder if I knew it was that band I liked, maybe I would have liked it more. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So... Anyway, I thought the song was called Don't Ask for Jim. I thought he was saying Jim the whole time, but anyway. It's called Ask for Jill, and it comes from uh, comes from the 1982 album Repercussion. So let's give it a listen, everyone. This is the DBs. Sad. 
And we're back. Mary, thoughts yes. Thoughts on Ask for Jill? I don't like it. You didn't like it? Nope. Really? Why not? Um, I didn't like how he was singing. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote, don't like the, quote, Ask for Jim singing. He says, Ask for Jim. <laughs> Apparently, he's not saying Jim. No, Ask for Jill. Well, I heard Jim. Okay. So anyway, because um, I thought that he was calling and he was saying, when you call back, ask for Jim, yeah. who is me. I'm oh, Jim. I see. I see. No, it's uh, the, so- the song is a little. The lyrics are kind of opaque in, in, in ways, but mm. they, they don't. They tell a very kind of. Um, they do. They tell a little bit of a story, but they're kind of opaque. Yeah, interesting. So, Mary, just so you know, yes, the DBs were made up of uh, guitarists, songwriters, Chris Stamey, who's singing this song, and Peter Holzapple with bassist Will Rigby and drummer Gene Holder, and all the members were from Winston Winston Salem. North Carolina. But what's interesting is they didn't form the band there. They said they all kind of met up in New York City and became a band. Although Chris Amy had played with Will Rigby in a band called Sneakers with Mitch Easter. And Mitch Easter would go on to form a band called Let's Active and produce the first two, what I would call, first two seminal REM albums, Murmur and Reckoning. And, and then Stamey also backed Alex Chilton uh, on bass when when he was when he went to New York. Alex Chilton. Yeah. Remind me. Alex Chilton. Yeah. Big star. Oh, thank you. And he recorded a single with um, Richard Lloyd, who was the second guitarist in television. Uh, it was a song called "I Thought You Wanted to Know," which he then released on his own label. Steamy had started a label called Car Records, and he'd also release uh, a sneakers album in 1978 called in the red on that that label so when he did when he recorded i thought you wanted to know with richard lloyd he did a b-side for the single uh called if and when that featured steamy rigby and gene holder who of course had all been in the sneakers with him and so and then they credited the single to chris steamy and the dbs and then later peter halsapple met up with them and he they asked him to join and so he joined the group so um so yeah, like so as I was saying, it comes from this uh, album called Repercussion, which is her second album. And what's kind of what I think is kind of fun about it is that the song is is I mean it has a lot of things going on in it, but it sort of concerns a recounting of mastering a record. Mm-hmm. So getting a record ready to be ready for press. And so there was an actual Jill who worked at a company called Masterdisc in New York City. And so the first lines of the song are kind of telling you her phone number and sort of telling you the address. He didn't come right out and say it. He just sort of like hinted at them. Right. And he also, so he kind of wrote the song for that, but he says he also wrote the song to see how long he could make Peter Halsapple play the repetitive two note riff Mm. in the song. So Peter Halsapple is doing that. Do, 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 Yeah, I didn't like that either. Oh, you didn't like that part of the song? Oh, jeez. Oh, I love this song. It's funny that you don't. When I first heard it, I immediately bought the CD. I had to go down to the States to buy it too, because it wasn't available in Canada. So I had to go across the border down to Bellingham, bought it down there, because I liked it. Well, I'm glad that you like it. There's one more REM connection, which is that Scott Litt produced this album, produced Repercussion, and he also produced REM, kind of their breakthrough albums later on, like Green and... I think, um, is it per- not Parade, um, Life's Rich Pageant, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so cool. you, you didn't like it. So we're off to a bad start, is what you're telling me. Not a bad start, just, to... um, you know. Let me get out my red you, pen. You marking it down? Yeah, I'm going to get my red pen out. Okay. Red pen right To write down. Mary, I'm going to put a frowny face beside this. No, big X. There we go. 
Frowny Face. Oh, yeah. It's a big frowny face. Mm-hmm. Mm, well. Okay, so if you didn't like that song, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that you weren't a big fan of the next song, Mary. But I like this song a lot. So let's give a listen before Mary tears it to pieces. This is... Uh, you can make your own... You can have your own opinion about the song, folks. This is uh, Tommy Hone, and the song is called Blow Yourself Up. It's uh, from his album Losing You to Sleep, or if you prefer his album Space Break. Either album. Space Break... And or losing you to sleep, depending which uh, which record you bought. Came hmm. is the song came out in 1977. The album came out in 1978. Let's give a listen to "Blow Yourself Up." father what did you think of the song i'm already wait a second wait a second dad's okay. drawing something i drew another frowny face beside it yeah i thought it was fine yeah oh i put a frowny face so you you thought it was okay i thought it was fine not oh. okay fine it you felt... like you liked it so you're no, telling me no i'm not saying I, it felt like it was kind of a filler no not at all it's a really good song i had to listen to it three times why because i kept 
forgetting that it was on and that I was supposed to be listening to it. That ha- That's happened a couple times where I will, I'll like listen through and I'll like look down at my notes and I'll be like, oh, I'm missing song number two. Then I'll go back and listen to it again. And then I'll like look and I'll be like, how are we on song number three? What happened to song number two? <laughs> two times that happened. Huh. I had to go back, listen to it a third time. Wow. And I was like, listen to the song, Mary. <laughs> I was like, no, listen to the song. Well, that's funny because I think both these songs are consummate power pop songs, like really representative of their of their era of um, of that alternative to the regular stuff you're hearing on the radio, whether that was Bruce Springsteen, aka the Boss, uh, Bob Seger, aka the Hoss, mm-hmm. or I can't think. Of, I was trying to think of a, a third one. Oh, uh, or um, oh, forget it. Did you lose it? No, I just couldn't think of a artist that was suitable. Because I was going to then say AKA the Floss, but uh, oh. I couldn't think Could of it. Could have gone for Moss. Moss? Uh-huh. AKA the Moss? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Toss would have also. Sauce? But I, I didn't hear this song Moss? until. I had never heard this song until last year. Uh, uh, it's on a collection called um, Thank You Friends. Mm-hmm. It's a, like a collection of songs from Ardent Studios, which was a studio in Memphis that was run by this guy who was uh, an engineer and he built the studio himself and basically he built it as sort of a, a counter to all of the, to all the soul studios that were in town already. So high and, and stacks and stuff like that. And so he, he wanted one that kind of, cause he was a real fan of the Beatles. So he built one that was for, for Beatle fans basically. And so that's where big star played. And that's where, you know the kind of the scene kind of coalesced around that the the counter scene in in, in Memphis kind of coalesced around that studio and Tommy Hoon was a Memphis musician and kind of a kind of on the outskirts no, I shouldn't say on the outskirts but kind of on the periphery of the scene you know he he sings backing vocals on Big Star's third album AKA Sister Lovers he um he collaborated with both Alex Chilton and Chris Bell a lot of Alex Chilton talk so far. Mm-hmm. Well, Alex Chilton is a real, he's a real kind of spark for power pop, I think. Like Big Star is a, is a real proto power pop band. That's fair. I don't know if you could call him, well, you know, I think, I don't know if you'd call him exactly power pop, but I definitely think that they kind of sparked that that uh, interest in, in kind of reviving like British British invasion kind of uh, aesthetics and, and kind of updating it to the 70s, but still kind of the idea of like a, a smart, clever three minute single. You know, which had kind of been lost to the to the to, to radio by this point. FM radio was became more of an album, became more about albums and less about singles. And so mm-hmm. the idea of a single had kind of had kind of fallen away. And Power Pop was kind of an attempt to celebrate the single. Right. Uh, so yeah. So then in 1975, he formed a band called Pre P R I X with a fellow Memphis musician and. Uh, with Chris Bell as co-producer, they recorded a bunch of songs at Arden Studios. And they had a little bit of a bite from Columbia Records, but all they ended up doing was releasing a couple couple of singles that weren't very successful, and so they broke up in 1977. And so in 77, Hoon released Blow Yourself Up on a, a Memphis label called Power Play Records. And he had a regional hit with the song. And then Power Play then released an album of his stuff called Space Break, which then... Uh, Hoon signed with Lennon Records, and they re-released it as "Losing," oh, sorry, yeah, "Losing Yourself to Sleep" or "Lose Yourself to Sleep." Man, can you imagine being like, "Wait, what's this artist's name again?" Tommy Hoon. Man, imagine being like, "Oh man, there's another Tommy Hoon album out. I gotta buy it." Then you get home, and you're like, 
Wait a second. I already have all these songs. <laughs> I'd be mad. <laughs> yeah, that would. That's always a problem, I think. But uh, Space uh, Spaceback would have been a very, very badly distributed album. Like right. It, it was just a, a small regional label. Like, wait, what was that album? Was it a Big Star album mm-hmm. that was like released so poorly, and they were like going around to radio stations. Yeah. And like going on there to promote it, but then it wouldn't actually be in any record stores and people can actually buy it. Yeah. That would be, that happened to Big Star as well. Yeah. Happened to a few acts on our, or on, uh, yeah, our, our stacks actually at that mm-hmm. time. Um, there's another band called Cargo and they, they had suffered the same fate, put out a really good album because no, no one could get it. So it didn't work out. Unfortunate. It is too bad. Okay. Well, I'm, you know, one thing I like about this song, Mary, is that I love that it, it's like it keeps building up all the time. Like you do, like songs that do that. Yeah, like it, like it's like you know, like do 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 do. Like it keeps like everything. What the song is da da do 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 do. It's it's really interesting because it hardly ever, uh, it doesn't really um, resolve. I guess I should say it's kind of like Charles Ives the un the unanswered question, where it's like an unresolved chord. You know, like I feel like the song. It doesn't doesn't resolve very often. It's kind of uh, it kind of keeps you in this sort of state of antsiness. Maybe that's why I don't like it. It makes you anxious. All yeah, right. maybe it makes me anxious. I don't know. I like songs that build too. Yeah, like yeah. Sophie and Stevens does that a lot. I like that. Okay, him, but hmm. didn't like that song though. All right, well, that's fine. Oh, it was fine. Let's go on to our third song then, Mary. All right, Miss Krabby Pants. I'm not crabby. I'm just having an opinion. Uh, this is everyone. This is a band that I rated very highly as a as a as a teenager. And now also, and I still like them a lot. But I would say that my prime love of XTC, which is the band we're going to play next, was of grade, grade 8 to grade 12, probably. And I bought all their albums with great glee. I remember going into, um, there was a import record store in Vancouver called Odyssey Imports. And they would write on a chalkboard on their wall, albums, release dates, which didn't wasn't done very often. You know, other record stores. And so I remember going in there and seeing it said XTC Mummer. And I was very excited because English Settlement it was such a great album. And I was really looking forward to Mummer. It was a bit disappointing, to be honest, but I was really looking forward to it. I was super excited. Hmm. But this is my prime, prime era of XTC, everyone. This is from Drums and Wires from 1980. And the song is 10 Feet Tall. So let's give it a listen.
And we're back. Mary, opinions yes. of 10 feet tall? Okay, so yeah. Um, I'm generally not a very big fan of like art rock or new wave yeah. or 80s music. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I actually do really like the song. Yeah. Which, I do like XTC. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I did not know it was an XTC song. I kind of guessed it was. Okay. But I did like it. I really I thought it had a really fun chorus. Yeah. And the guitar is really good. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is the first album with with a new guitarist in the group. His name was Dave Gregory, and he was replacing the departed keyboardist Barry Andrews, who had, I guess, attempted a coup of the band to become leader over Andy Partridge. Whoops! And it didn't work out for him. And of so, the Partridge family. Of the Partridge family, that's right. And he left, and Ben Andrews left the group, and then he, you know, he went on to. He went on to success. Like, it probably was better that he left the group. He had, you know, he was a songwriter too. So he had Andrew Partridge, who was a very prolific songwriter. And then he had Colin Moulding, who was kind of like, has a real pop smarts. And then Andrews as well. And so there was three of them writing songs. And so they're all jostling for space on the records. And I think that's where Andrews was trying to like, maybe influence the others to kind of be more uh, receptive to him having more songs on the records and kind of... Uh, cutting down on what Partridge was, was, you know, contributing. And that didn't work. And so he quit the group um, while they were touring in America. And he went on to join Robert Fripp in a group called The League of Gentlemen. And he later formed a, a group called Shriekback. And they had quite a bit quite a bit of success. So he, he did fine. But then XCC needed a new member. So they kind of half-heartedly additioned keyboard players. And in fact, it was rumored at one point that Thomas Dolby would, was considered... Uh, He's a very well-known kind of 80s... Of Dolby sound? No, of producing Prefab Sprout. Oh! But also he did a song called She Blinded Me With Science, which was a big hit song. And at a time Sounds when... Sounds familiar. Well, at a time when a hit would buy you a house, you know, and so mm. that's... And his Uncle David once asked someone who told him that, what if four hits buy you a hotel? <laughs> it's a Monopoly joke. But anyway, so... <laughs> It's a good joke. <laughs> so, I, like a, I like a board game joke. Yeah, of course you do. So then, uh, so then. Although, hmm? can I just say? Yeah. Monopoly is a garbage game. Yeah, it's not a good game. It's terrible. It's boring. Terrible. Yeah. Boring. Super. There's so much chance. Yeah. In it, like it's very little. It's a lot of randomness. Yeah. There's not a lot of like. Well, it's, lo- it's supposed to be an educational game, right? It's supposed to teach you that monopolies were bad. Yes, I think so. Yeah, it was supposed to be like this is a terrible thing that no one should like, and then people <laughs> play it. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm we, a, it was a game we everyone had as as kids. Sure. It was a very commonly owned game, and I always found it very boring. I remember we, as a family, yeah. the four of us, yeah. used to do family game night for a while. Okay. And then. We tried to play Monopoly. <laughs> that and it destroyed it. Family Game Night. <laughs> it did. We kept trying yeah. to play it for like a month. And we were always like, oh my God. And we had a cat in the hat Monopoly. Didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different themed Monopolies and they're all terrible. What about the Beatles one? Terrible. It's just Monopoly. <laughs> they're all just, there's an Abbotsford one too. Terrible. <laughs> That's I have to say. Because it's just Monopoly. <laughs> so uh, skip, let's, we'll move on from Monopoly back to XTC. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. If you want to play a good board game, play yeah. Pandemic or obviously Settlers of Catan. Yes, those are both good games. Settlers of Catan, which is ripe, ripe for, for mockery. Mm. It's actually quite quite a good game. It's a really good game. Yeah. I think that people, once they get more into board gaming, kind of feel like 
you know it's it's kind of like too basic you know but and i think people do sort of suffer from playing it too much which i definitely did for a time played it way too much yeah it's kind of like oh i don't play Catan anymore (laughs) but i played Catan a while ago it's such a good game yeah it's really good yeah it's well 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 made it is so thomas dolby oh yeah of she blinded me with science fame fame of changing the sound of prefab sparta making dave mad fame uh he was not, actually not considered. That was just a rumor, but it wasn't true. So the band really wanted... And you're like, thank goodness. <laughs> the band really wanted Dave Gregory because he's like one of those musicians, musicians kind of a guy who can right. really play his guitar and knows how to read music and can mm-hmm. arrange and do all those sort of things that, that the other guys who are just a, lot, just a lot of like... People just decided they were going to play in a band and, right. and kind of learned on the, on the go. Mm-hmm. He was a bit different than that. And so he came into the group and I think... And I think there was already a, like a will in the band, particularly with Colin Moulding, who wrote this song, the bass player Colin Moulding. He he wanted to move on from what they'd been doing the last two albums. He was kind of tired of the herky jerk, kind of new, kind of very like over the top new wave sound that they that they that's were kind of fair. exemplars of. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And so he just wanted like more of a normal kind of straight ahead pop sound, and that's partly he kind of wrote in that vein for this album. And that's why Drums and Wires is the the best XTC album. Maybe, well. Yeah, yeah, Making it probably plans is. for Nigel. Yeah. Helicopter. Yeah, which is a very herky-jerky song, by the way. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, when You're Near Me, I Have Difficulty. Yes. That's a very good song. It is. Ten Feet Tall, of course. Yep. Um, Real to Real, that's good. Um, that one about, uh, what's it called? She's got seven swallows down a little deep, deep. Anyway, Outside World. That's a good one. Right, that one. You know that one? Do, 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 do. It's like, what was it? Last weekend, Eve was like singing the song. Yeah. I was like, do you know that song? Da, 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 da. I knew what she was singing. And I was like, no. She was right on. She was doing Private Eyes. She was going like, do, 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 do. She was not singing that much. Do, 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 do. She was just doing like, do, do, do. You know that song? Yeah. Do, do, do. You know that one? Private Eyes. I was like, no They're one could know that you. song from those three chords you're singing. <laughs> do, do, do. You know that song? You know the song? It goes like, do, do, do. Like, no, of course I don't know that song. It is a it is a great album, Mary. And you know one reason it's a great album? Because it has a great producer. Are you talking about Drums and Wires back to yep. now? Oh, okay, yeah. Who's the producer? Steve Lillywhite. Oh, him again. Yeah. The Laws. Mm-hmm. Morrissey's Vauxhall and I, his mm-hmm. best album. Still Steve Lillywhite. Now, Andy Partridge being a... Wait, 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 wait. Better than South Park Grammar? Hmm. That's also produced by Steve Lillywhite. So really, it's a, a, oh, yeah. a B if you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Got out of that one, folks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do like South Park, South Park Grammar a lot. Dagenham Dave. Reader yeah. meets author. Yeah. Boy Racer. What? Are you saying you don't like those songs? Yeah, they're good. Oh, but you're saying, yeah. No, I'm disagreeing with you. I'm like, oh, going, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so they, they, they really liked how he produced um, a, the Susie and the Banshee album called The Scream, and he also liked how his work with Ultravox at the time. So they brought him in, and what they w- wanted from him was they said they wanted him to produce an album with a drum sound that would knock your head off. That's how they described it. Hmm. And so that's what he was brought in. The drums in this on this song are very good, too. And Hugh Padham, who was the engineer who worked with Steve Lillywood at this time, this was before he developed the most dreaded sound of all time, the Gated Snare, which he developed for Phil Collins when they were recording um, his album, which it called Phil Collins. No tie required, or something like that, or something like that. No, no, I can't remember what it's called. Hello, I must be going. Anyway, the one with In the Air Tonight on it, 
<laughs> that was where like that's where that whole kind of like super compressed drum sound comes from mm -hmm. and that was hugh padham we can't blame Ooh. him we can't blame him for the for that but you know, uh, but you know he also kind of well he, he was the producer i'll put that in quotes for um xcc's english settlement i put that in quotes because i think he was more the engineer and andy partridge is more the uh, producer but but um yeah because andy partridge is a control freak this is this is long established in my head anyway. that is not uncommon for band runners yeah well i mean he was a band person around the band because he was a control freak yeah. so he's the one who wanted to control the control yeah. everyone That's so what I'm saying. and when he couldn't control them he got really upset yeah you know so that's why he always like complains about the production of their album they produced with Todd Rundgren because mm -hmm. Todd Rundgren also has a very has a very strong personality. Right. And basically, when you hire Todd Rundgren to produce your, produce your album, he produces your album. Hmm. You're not just bringing in a figurehead who's going to nod his head while you make while you make decisions. Yeah. No, he's coming in and he has ideas. He chooses the songs he wants to put on the album. He comes in with arrangement ideas. He you know he brings himself to the project. And Andy, Andy Partridge, of course, being a control freak, uh, really did not enjoy that. And so even to this day, he still complains about working with, with Todd Rundgren, which, and it was their most successful album that Todd Rundgren produced for them. Like it saved their career, but still he complains about it. Can't help himself. Control freak. Uh, so. I wonder if um, Steve Lilly was career working with control freaks. Do you think Morrissey's <laughs> a control freak? Because uh, Lee Mavers is a control freak for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, Lee Mavers is also of a control freak. Of the laws. Freak. Yeah, of the laws. And is Morrissey a control freak? I don't... I guess he is. I guess he is. Uh, probably he is. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why he and Mar couldn't stay, couldn't work... Couldn't, couldn't continue to work together. Yeah. Because Morrissey was just... Had too rigid uh, of an idea of what the Smith sound was. Whereas yeah. Johnny Marr wanted to kind of expand it. And Morrissey was like, nope, this is our sound and this is what we're sticking to. This is what I'm comfortable with and I don't want to change. So yeah, so... This song, 10 Feet Tall Mary, was inspired by Nick Lowe's song, Cruel To Be Kind, because it was the first acoustic song that um, that XTC recorded. And oh, really? Dave Gregory, this is pretty forward for the new guitarist, but he felt the song was so unlike XTC, he thought Moulding should release it as a, as a solo single. But I think, I think that's kind of a, a weird way to look at a song like this, because really what you're doing is you're, you're expanding your palette of, of songs. You know, like you're saying, we can do this, but we can also do that. We can do making plans for Nigel, but we can also do this, you know, and uh, yeah, I really like it. It's a little bit, it's a little bit its own thing, but it's, it's, um, you know what? I'm going to play, I'm going to play something interesting, Mare. Mm -hmm. This is. Sorry. I was just trying to see if um, the character Todd Ingram from Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim was named after Todd Rundgren. Oh, okay. Of real life. I probably not, but. Why not? Oh, I doubt that, um, Brian Lee O'Malley would be referencing Rundgren in, in Scott Pilgrim, which is very much kind of that period of music-centered. Late 60s or 70s? Well, 90s, oddies. He has a character named Stephen Stills. Oh, yeah, that's he right. He has another character named Young Neil. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Hmm. Who knows? Uh, so I, but I just want to play this for... This oh, is yeah, a, sorry. This is a different version of 10 Feet Tall. Because mm -hmm. actually, this song was the first single released by their U.S. label oh, okay. in the States. And I already knew them because I had seen them on a late night show on Christmas Eve. Um, they played, the, the show played This Is Pop from their first record, uh, White Music. And then, and it played one other song by them on that. I can't, it was right. It was Making Plans for Nigel as well. So I, I knew both those songs from watching this show. And so I was really excited by them. That's why 
when um, Black Sea came out, I bought it right away. I didn't buy Drums and Wires, I think because I couldn't find it at the time. But when Black Sea came out, it, it, it had a hit single with Generals and Majors, and, and it was available like in Delta, in North Delta. I could go to like the record store and buy it there. So I did. But yeah, so they put out this single, but then they made the band re-record it. for. Why? I guess they wanted a more American sound for the song. Stupid. So it's less acoustic and more of an electric version of the song. So I'll play it for you, and uh, you tell me what you think. All right, here we go, everyone. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of um, it's kind of weird. It's it's weird that they changed the song so much. Well, it feels like yeah, because they recorded that after they recorded like a couple of months after they recorded the original version. Mm. Then it feels like they did everything right 
on the record version. Yeah. And they did everything wrong on the single version. Like they made all these weird kind of choices just just to change it up, not yeah. for any other reason. Yeah. Like the solo and the al- album version is way better than the solo and oh, yeah. the and, and, and the si- single version. The singing like the harmonies are better on the album version. So much of it is better. It's just it's it's so weird to me that it, it, it how much changed it is. Although apparently it's something to mess with because there's a Peel version, a John Peel session version of it, and instead of the guitar solo, they have like a. Hey, that's another. Uh... Oh, never mind. What's wrong? Well, I was gonna I was gonna say that that was another producer that worked with the Laws, but no, the, um, a lot of the songs on Hatful of Hollow are John Peel versions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. A lot, a, a lots of bands recorded sessions for John Peel. You know? Cool. Most famously, most. Most prolifically, do you know which band was? The Smiths. No. Um, British? Yep. From what era? From, they were on that era as well. The 80s? And on. Before and on, in the 80s and after as well. And they also start with the F. They start with an F. The Fogs. Nope. Who? The Fall. Oh. The Fall where they, they recorded the most sessions for John Peel of any band. Cool. I would not. Because I... he was one of their biggest fans. Interesting. In a yeah. million years, I would not have guessed The Fall. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting anyway. I just wanted to play that. It kind of just shows you, like, what happens when you kind of second-guess yourself. Like, obviously, the record company said, you know, gave them a lot of, like, advice on what they should do in order to make, like, a quote-unquote successful single for the American market. And they set out to try to do that, you know. But what really got them success in the American market was what they were already doing. You know, it was the songs that, you know, Making Plans for Nigel yep. wasn't, like, a big, big... uh Hit. hit or anything like that but it definitely introduced them to the american market and then generals and, and majors that that's, that's a song that most people around your age know oh yeah you know and then generals and majors was in which probably people don't know it but it was like at least a top 20 hit on c-fox uh rate like the c-fox station here in vancouver when i was when i was in grade eight uh it was you know it was a big it's a big hit mm-hmm. so yeah maybe it was in grade nine around that time period anyway yeah all right, let's move on from let's move on from XTC. Enough XTC. Oh I no, said. I have an important question first. Oh yeah. How did me. that single do? Not well, not well at all. Because I don't think you can. I don't think you can. I mean, I guess you can. But I don't think you should try to change yeah. your sound to become something that's more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just it's not authentically you anymore. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, well, here we are, this is XTC, and then you're playing something that's so not XTC. Yeah, and it's like, oh, like this band has been really popular in Britain. Yeah. So let's try to market them in the States by changing everything that made them popular. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, well, why? Like, do you like the band? Or do you just, yeah, like, I don't know. It was making plans for Nigel that really, really broke them in in England. Mm. Like, up to that point, they were doing okay, but they weren't really filling clubs or anything, and then... That song came out, and suddenly they got you know play they got play on the radio, mm-hmm. and suddenly they were they were filling you know people were coming to see them, and they're yeah doing that's well. fair. It's a great song. It is a good song, but I think I think people have heard that song, so I went I went to the right. Sure. If you have not heard that song though, you should go listen to it. Yes, it's very good. It's definitely available on YouTube and stuff. All right. So a little while ago, Mary insulted me during one of our shows. I know that's hard to believe. Me? Yeah. I, I don't think do that. Well, Mary, you mm-hmm. said that I like to play novelty songs. Oh. Even on mixes that aren't novelty mixes. Is that an insult? Well. As someone who made three novelty mixes, could that could that be considered inaccurate? Well, 
I don't know. But you said I didn't just make novelty mixes. You said I put novelty songs on regular mixtapes as well. That's true. I don't know about that, Mary. Having said that, let's listen to The Purple Gang Mm -hmm. with Granny Takes a Trip. Mm -hmm. Here we go, everyone. Well, she lives all alone in a house by a pool. She wears fur coats and hats and old-fashioned jewels. And her one aim in life to be on the screen top, filling with ballet, her favorite dream. So once a year, Granny takes a trip, always first class, and she's well equipped. For the movie auditions in Hollywood town She always turns up but she's always turned down You loved it? Yeah, it was a really great song. <laughs> I love the whole sound, like yeah. the whole like aesthetic they were going for yeah. with yeah. like the washboard and like the kazoo. Sure. And it sounded like they were going for like sort of like a player piano kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it be in England it'd be called the jangle jangle box? Better, even better. In jangle uh, box. In North America it's it's called the tack piano. Tack piano. Because uh in saloons they would put tacks on the on the Hammers on the... Right. I've seen that in cartoons. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that was to make this make it louder so it would be mm. you'd be heard over the ruckus of the of the saloon. Yeah, that's funny that you say saloon because when I was listening to this song I was like saloon. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I love the lyrics. They're very silly. Yeah. I like yeah. them a lot. And it's just like a super fun, catchy song. I was actually humming it all day at work. <laughs> it's good. So. Well, you do work with a lot of grannies. True, at, true enough. At work, so and a lot of great grannies. And a lot of great grannies. A lot of well. great great grannies. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's no, it's a lot of fun. 
the the name of the song "Granny Takes a Trip" was actually borrowed from a clothing shop in in uh, London called Granny Takes a Trip, which had been started by three kind of swinging fashion fashion designers. Oh, okay, and it was like all the rage, and it was basically right. one of the one of the, s- the store owners had a huge collection of vintage clothes, and so she just began to sell off her vintage clothes and. And I, we've talked about it before when we're talking about San Francisco, how pop, how popular it was uh, for women of that time period to dress as if they were Edwardian l- ladies, you know, because they would find the dresses in the Goodwill stores and things like that, and they would buy them and, and wear them. And and that was, of course, it it also spawned, it spawned a different grandma song, which was Hey Grandma by, by the Moby Grape. But the Purple Gang... I mean, their sound, of course, tells us right away that they. But they started off as a group called the Young Contemporaries Jug Band, and which kind of great, har- which, great name, yeah. And then it kind of harkens back to to the skiffle craze in England in the nineteen fifties. Do you know what the skiffle craze was, Mary? Sure don't. Well, the skiffle craze kind of kind of was started around this this uh, British artist whose name was Lonnie Donegan, and Lonnie Donegan did this very um, popular song at the time called Rock Island Line, and and it was kind of like a, you know, kind of partly spoken word song, and then partly because it tells a story. And then you, all, but he also sang and played played instruments. But the instrumentation of the song was very simple, and it was just him on an acoustic guitar with a bass and a drummer. And it was something that kids could imitate at home because they didn't need like they didn't need to have like a big horn section. They didn't need to have a they didn't even need to have like a lot of skill to play the songs. They're very simple songs, and so it started this what was called the skiffle craze because the music was called skiffle music and basically all you needed was a washboard a guitar or banjo Mm a t-chest bass as it was called which is basically a big box that you put a broomstick into attached a string to that and then you could like make a resonating noise and have like a bass sound and then maybe you have a drummer or you just have someone like banging on on a box or whatever it was all very simple and anyone could do it you know, and there'd be their books came out, of course, with songs, you know, with chord charts and things like that. And that's how the Beatles started. The Beatles started as a skiffle band. They were called the Quarrymen. And that's how John and Paul met, because John was playing with his friends as the Quarrymen at a, at a village fete at the local church in this town, I think, called Woolton. And uh, Paul had been invited by one of the guys to come down and, and see them play. And that's when they that's when he and John first met. And so, yeah, so skiffle was like a big part of of the 50s and so some bands like like the young contemporaries jug band aka the purple aka sorry did i say aka aka the purple band um you know for example of that even like mungo jerry name taken of course from the uh cats for well t.s Eliot's whatever it's called the book of something cats book of anyway uh were example of this sort of nostalgia as well but what happened was the band kind of changed its its look in the in the kind of mid 60s they changed it to a very popular image at the time with kind of art 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 bands which was a gangster look and it kind of grew out of the bonzos the bonzo dog Duda band because they you know they kind of played a lot of 30s music and they also dressed in clothes they found that were you know 30s fashions as, as a band and so then they uh they dressed like in this sort of gangster style and it became popular with a band called winchester cathedral mm-hmm. No, not Winchester Cathedral. Sorry, the new Vaudeville band. Mm. Uh, it became popular with Bob Kerr's band. I think Bob Kerr's Good Time, whatever. And then, uh, and so when they did that, they changed their name to the Purple Gang. Okay. Which was a reference to a Chicago era, like a Chicago Prohibition era gang. Okay. Who were involved in this the St. Valentine's Day massacre. 
but also a reference to this Elvis Presley song, Jailhouse Rock, which references in the song, the whole rhythm section was the Purple Gang. Yes. And so, and so they kind of borrowed it from that as well. Hmm. And when they moved to London, they uh, met up with Joe Boyd, uh, who we've mentioned many times, mm-hmm. produced Nick Drake and many mm-hmm. other bands. And he, he, they, they hired him to produce a single for them. For, and so he recorded Granny Takes a Trip at the same time as he was recording the Pink Floyd's new song, Arnold Lane. And so they were recording it at Sound Techniques, which is where also Nick Drake also uh, recorded a lot. And uh, yeah, unfortunately for the group, BBC, Hmm. the BBC, Hmm. just based on the title of the song, Mm -hmm. Granny Takes a Trip, banned it for drug references. Ridiculous. And then because uh, the singer of the band, this guy named Pete Walker, his nickname was Lucifer. Oh, and so the BBC controller declared that to quote, a song with a dubious title designed to corrupt the nation's youth and a band that boasts a warlock for a singer will not be tolerated by any decent society. Ugh. So that kind of spelled the end for that single. Sure did. But it was a popular song nonetheless. It was, uh, it's kind of one of those songs that is strangely out of step, but also in step with what was happening in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was, it was very popular. All right. Also, it's a really good song. It is a very good song. It's, it's very a lot catchy. of fun. Yeah. Did you find it on Nuggets? Uh, I found it on uh, it was on Mojo's collection, which was called uh, I can't remember what it's called Acid. Oh, Spaced. Acid, Space Drops, and Sugar Dust. Sugar Dust or something. Space Dust. Space Dust and Sugar Drops. I think like, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was on there anyway. That's where I first heard it. Uh, all right. Let's let's go to the next song, Mary. So this. Now this is a this is a palate cleanser or this is a bit of filler if you prefer. This is was it meant as a little bit of a as acid drop, space dust, and flying saucers. There you go. That's a really good mix. It is a very good, very good, very good. Uh, I think it's a four CD collection, hmm. and it's very good. Of course, it's sort of superseded by by my rubble, my twenty disc rubble collection of and similar nuggets songs. Also. Nuggets, I think nuggets and space dust they kind of could coexist because there's not a lot of crossover between oh, them. Oh really? But rubble definitely kind of yeah. takes both of those and right. I guess. N- yeah, yeah. But it's fine. I like the song so much, I don't care if they repeat. Yeah. Or if they exist in, in various forms on my, in my fair. collection. That's another song that is not on Spotify. Granny Takes a Trip? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you tried to add it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good song. It is good. Glad. <laughs> Glad you liked it. All right. Well, let's go on to the Go Team. Okay. This is a very, very short, but very kind of, very sweet song, I think. This is a song called My World from their second album, Proof of Youth, mm-hmm. that came out in 2007. Let's give it a listen, everyone.
How good is uh, the Go Team? I really like them, but this song, I was surprised to learn as I was doing my research, this song is a cover. Yes. Of a song by a Go. Did you know that? I learned it today. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Were you just curious about it too? No, I was just doing some research on the Go Team. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Written by a guy named Alan Parker, mm-hmm. who, not the film director who just died a few days ago. This is Alan Parker, the session guitarist. Mm, of course. Who played on a lot of... A lot of art, like a lot of 60s stuff, like a, a lot of rock and roll music that you listen to, Donovan and, and all kinds of different groups. Mm-hmm. He played with them. He also played in bands like Blue Mink and, and Sounds, whatever, like all kinds of different groups. Sure. And then he started- He a, was a, a working actor, but a mus- like a but working he, actor, but a musician. But a session musician. But also, he started a, a library music company oh, okay. called Themes International. Cool. And so this song was on one of those albums- he did this song. It's called "The Free Life." It's not called "My World" on the, on on his his version. It's called oh, okay. "The Free Life." And yeah, I'm I'd be kind of curious to hear some of the because he had like not just himself, but he had like a lot of other musicians from that time period and composers and stuff like that. Ron Ron Giesen or Giesen is is one of the names I I saw that I recognized because he of course worked with Pink Floyd and Adam Hart Mother. But yeah, it's uh it was uh, kind of interesting. I would I wouldn't mind hearing some of those records anyway. Yeah, it was a good song. Good times. Good times, Mary. Yeah. I don't usually like instrumentals, but I thought this was a fun song. Oh, I like it's instrumentals. Cute. But yeah. And it's, it's a, you know, it's two minutes long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Oh, as well. yeah. No, that's the other thing. Yeah. It's quite short. And I think it is kind of, I don't know if maybe the Go Team or, or Ian Parsons, the, the leader of the Go Team, is just kind of showing off his, it's typical of a guy like him who's a crate digger to know a song like this because he would be looking for these kind of records in his, in his, uh, in his, um, wanderings you know looking for looking for obscure records and stuff like that he'd be like well into theme music or theme library no sorry not theme he'd well be well into library music you know what library music is mary no okay well library music was it was a, a thing that so you would say you were a library a, a music library company like the wolf okay. would be a very popular one right the wolf for instance provided the music for monty python and the holy grail gotcha so say you're, you've done you have a tv show or you have an ad, mm-hmm. or you have um, you have a movie you're doing, mm-hmm. and you need music for it. Mm-hmm. But you you're kind of low budget, so you can't afford to hire a composer to do right. it for you. So you go online and you Google free songs. <laughs> well, you did the equivalent of, of that time period. You went to DeWolf Music. Right. So and, say you're making a presentation for your French class. Yeah. And you need some some backing music. Yeah. So you Google free music. Yeah. And then you go to this themes music library. Yeah, of course. There's no Google then, so you had to no, you had to rely on them. So you what you do is you would look through their 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 library, and they would have like descriptions of the songs, mm-hmm. you know, like dramatic overture, right? Or you know, or they would have like, but they would wouldn't just have that. Like the band, the Pretty Things. We've talked about this before. They they uh, recorded for for uh, one of one of the library companies in um, England as the Electric Banana. So they made they made all these kind of. Not some are instrumentals, but others are like actual rock songs. They were then could be bought by a, a company doing a movie. Let's say maybe they wanted to have like a a rock and roll scene in their movie. If they wanted to have a dance and they needed a rock and roll song, mm-hmm. they could take that electric banana song, pay the the company. I think it was Dele Music or something like that. Anyway, they could pay the company a license fee and then they could put it into their movie, right? And use that song. And so and so what uh, Alan. Parker did is he started his own company and he provided he and he hired the the people that he knew uh, the session musicians and people like that he hired them to create their own things that could be used as you know 
commercial themes or stuff for industrial movies or whatever people are doing, you know, because, you know, there's lots of stuff where no one, people can't afford to pay for the, the music. So they'll, sometimes you can't always steal it either. Mm -hmm. That's true. Sometimes you can't. I can, but others can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All my theme music. Illegal. Anyway, let's go on to the next song, Mare. Okay. As, as much as I enjoy talking about library music. Can I? No, never mind. What are you going to say? No, it's nothing. What? Nothing. You can ask a question? Nope. What are you going to do? I was, I was just going to make a reference to something. What? Well, I was just going to say that my brother, my brother and me used to have an ABBA song okay. as their theme song. Sure. But then when they joined up. the Max Fun Network, they had to change it. Oh, okay. Um, And so now it's a John Roderick and the Long Winter song. Who are they? They're like a band from Seattle. So they pay for them for the song. Uh, probably yeah. the ABBA song would be way too expensive. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't actually know if they pay John Roderick, but they like thank him every episode and okay. stuff. Okay. Yeah. And he's like a part of the network. And whenever they, um, whenever they. Oh, maybe he makes the songs available to other Max Fun. Yeah. He has like, he, I don't know if he still does, but for a while he was doing a podcast on the network too. Mm. And whenever they go to Seattle and perform there, he plays the theme song live. Okay. Okay. Um, but, uh, they, <laughs> sometimes they make reference to, uh, their former theme song and a very litigious Swedish band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, I just want to point out that the last song by the Go Team, guitar song. Yes. Next song, Mary. This is a band called Whitney. Whitney. Whitney, yeah. Haven't heard of them. And the song is called No Woman. N -O, okay. N-O Woman. Woman, A-N or E-N? A-N. Okay, so singular. Singular woman. Okay. No Woman. Right. From their album, Late from the Lake. This came out in 2016. All right. So this song was hot off the presses. when sure I, was. When I got the, uh, but what I love about this song is the guitar in it. So I just want, I'm just going to say that before it starts because I want you to be paying attention to the, and I also, I also love the strings and the, the horns, but I really like the guitar part when it comes, when it pops along. You'll, 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 you'll see it. You'll hear it. So here we go, everyone. This is Whitney with No Woman from 19, uh, from 2016. Not used to saying that. I used to going much earlier. <laughs> 2016. Here we go, everyone.
Walking on the city train To spend some time on the road All right, and we're back. Hey, Mary, what do you think of uh, Whitney? Well, I liked it a lot. Oh, you did? Yeah. So you like the guitar part in it as well? I did. It's so nice, isn't it? It That's is. That's when it comes in, you're like, oh, yeah. it really kind of enlivens the song. Totally, yeah, because like, yeah. before that, it's just vocals, yeah. which I liked quite a bit as well. Yeah. And yeah, then the guitar part comes in, it, it feels kind of like a different song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but both very good. Yeah. I mean, I like indie rock. Yeah, yeah. Like indie folk rock, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. indie folk, you know, that kind sure, of- Sure, sure, sure. That, that genre, I enjoy yeah. quite a bit. Sophie and Stevens, Fleet Foxes, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought that this was a, it was quite a good example of that. Yeah. Yes. And I liked the sort of like growing instrumentation mm-hmm, as well. The strings and the horns attitude yeah, as it yeah. goes. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And then it kind of fades out and then there's just a singer at the end of the song. Mm-hmm. And I think the song is one of those sort of life is tough on the road songs, you know, but I don't know. I don't really listen to lyrics that much, so. I wasn't listening to the lyrics either. <laughs> I don't listen to the lyrics my first couple times that I listen to a song. Okay. Unless okay. they're like. I've read that novelty songs tend to sort of put the lyrics more out there mm-hmm. for you to listen to because... Mm-hmm. That's kind of the point of the many yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Whereas like a song like this, like the lyrics aren't really the point, you know? No, it's more of soundscape to me. That's how I listen to most music anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad you liked that song. I did. It was it. fun. So let me just just put that on my paper here. You haven't marked the last few. How are you going to know my overall feelings? You're just going back. And... All right, Mayor. Yeah. I don't, am I, am uh, I passing so far? Oh, you're doing... Doing pretty good, I guess. Uh, you, guess. you, um, you. I was gonna say you. I don't know what that means. I was, I was just gonna say I don't have much to say about this group because they're so new that. Oh yeah. They're so new. This is like. Where are they from? They're from Chicago. Okay. And they're just a couple guys from another band. Yeah. That then left, and then they joined together, and they wrote some songs together, and they put out a group album as Whitney. Mm-hmm. Have they done any more albums? Oh, uh, they have. They released one just uh, last year, two thousand nineteen. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, they're still I mean, doing stuff. I'm sure that eventually there will be more things to say about Whitney. Yeah. They're quite yeah. good. I like them. Have yeah. you listened to much else of theirs? Uh, I just I just uh, got this CD oh, uh, a okay. little while ago, so I haven't had time to listen to it yet. So cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's in my to-be-listen-to pile. Sweet. But I was listening to this. Uh, I got a I got a three-disc collection of, of um, proto-psych songs from 1966. Cool. So that's what I was listening to. And then I, but I had to interrupt it so I could listen to this, this mixtape right. to get ready for the show. So, but I really enjoyed this mixtape, to be honest with you. So I, it was a, it was a pleasure to listen to over and over again. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to your next song, Mary. This song is kind of related a little bit to, to the last song. Cause the last song talks to a little. This, to Whitney? Yeah. Cause the last song talked a little bit about the road. Uh huh. And this song is the Partridge family. Oh. And the song is called Morning Rider so on the Road. So it also relates to our last episode. Yes. We listened to six, five, six we Partridge said, Family. We listened to five Partridge Family songs. Yeah. And Mary. Hey, Louise. You'll like this song. You'll like this song, Louise. <laughs> this is from an album. You didn't choose a song from Louise. This is from Up to Date. She probably didn't have it. Well, no, because she said this is from nine-year-old Louise. So oh. Louise could only be nine years old for the, the, right. length, the length of... Although, I don't know if she was being quite honest, because she also put Rainmaker on there. And that came out a full year, at least, from from uh, the Partridge Family album, which came out in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. For sure. Anyway, this is from Up to Date. Okay. Which, as you say, has a has a cool album cover because it has all the birthdays of the characters from the movie. And the show. actors. And the actors as well. Yeah, it's like the character birth dates or the actor birth dates. Okay. Oh, yeah. cool, cool. But also, I think it has the birthday of the dog as well. That's right, it does. Yeah. Simone. Simone. Yeah, so it has like the picture and then it has the their name and their birthday, which is pretty cute. That's cool. And this is probably the last album 
that would have featured the actor who played Chris. Yes. I think he left the show at this and was replaced by another actor. Not that he did anything. They didn't really do anything. There's no. only there's only two singers in the in the group and none of them played instruments. So Yeah. They're all it was all session musicians and whatnot. But anyway, this is Morning Rider on the Road, everyone. This is uh I relate the song. Here we go. Well, I thought my life was over when she walked right out on me. And I watched the world around me just explode. That's when I hit the highway. That's how I came to be. Well, I'd wake up in the morning with the sunshine in my eyes and the music of the canyon would begin And I'd soar just like an eagle through the blue Montana skies Like a glider on the wind There were times when I was hungry Times I missed a friend But sleep would hush it over There were times the rain would wake me And all my dreams would end But a dream can't last forever Like a hobo in the sun There were times when I was lonely And I wished the night was done Like an Indian on the run And all at once I'd meet you Stop me in the tracks And all at once I lose the urge to roam So the hobo in the sun Indian on the run And the rider on the highway Found a home And all at once I meet you Stop me in my tracks And all at once I lose the urge To roam So the hobo in the sun And the Indian on the run And the rider on the highway Found a home And we're back. Mary, what did you think of this song? Well, Dad, yes. after listening to this song, yeah. I have to go and listen to the Go Team again. You have to go listen to the Go Team again. Yeah. Yeah, you have to listen to uh, Everyone's a VIP to Someone, is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Or just do what I did, which was just listen to the entirety of Thunder Lightning Strike, <laughs> the album. Yes. It's a really good album. It is a very good it's album. It's also a good album for working on things at work. I was doing like office work at work. I was making a uh, newsletter. And it was it was just nice sort of background music for okay. that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, this song was written by Tony Romeo, who mm-hmm. we were talking about last time as well, because oh, he okay. wrote he wrote the biggest hit for the Partridge Family, "I Think I Love You." 
but he also wrote this song as well. And he wrote, he usually wrote a couple songs on every one of the records. And but I think this song is very good. But you're right, this song is reminiscent of a certain song by the Go Team, which is, is called it "Reminiscent." Everyone's a VIP to someone. Well, it's certainly reminiscent because they they took a part of the song and yeah. they put it into their song. So that's let's, their whole thing. Let's play that song. That's I don't know if you. Sh- that's the Go Team's whole thing. They yeah, sample. They do sample. This song has three samples in it. Uh oh! Everyone's a VIP to someone. Yeah. Okay. It has it's a sample from Fred Neal, mm-hmm. or at least it has a sample from every everybody's talking. It's probably the the Nielsen version, to be okay. honest. It is a sample from Laurie Nero's um, song, I think Stone Soul Picnic. And, but if you look, because there's a site I sometimes peek at, because it'll come up in my Google searches, and it's like it's called like who sampled it or something like that, or what is a sample? It's some kind of name like that, mm-hmm. and it'll tell you what songs are sampled okay. in a song. So it it says that this song has those two samples in it, but it does not mention this Partridge Family sample. Really? So with the song fresh in everyone's mind, let's give a listen to... Everyone's uh, a VIP to someone by the Go Team from yeah. their 2006, 2006 album, I think, yeah. Thunder, Lightning, Strike. Yes. Here we go. Thanks, Mary, for that introduction. No worries. <laughs>
right. That was uh, the Go team with every everyone's a VIP to someone. And you can tell near the end there that that's when that was during the band's two drummer phase. As they have a lot of banging <laughs> and crashing at the end. But that's a good song. The uh, harmonica provided by Ian Parsons. So, Mary. Yes. After playing that Partridge Family song, you know what I was inspired to do? What? I was inspired to create my own alternative top five Partridge Family songs. The first song being oh, first song being Morning Rider on the Road. Do I have to listen to all- Yep. <laughs> What's wrong? What's your second one? <laughs> the second one is the first song on their first album, the Partridge Family album from 1970. This is Brand New Me. Here we go. Come on down. Off of your cloud Watch us be Facing the crowd You can remember that once upon a Love affair Your heart was warm Your lips were tender And I didn't care, baby You're gonna see You're gonna see So that was Brand New Me from the Partridge Family album, 1970. That's our second song. Our first song is Morning Rider on the Road yes. from Up to Date, which came out in 1971. Mm-hmm. Then, which is not as good as any Go Team song. <laughs> and then we're from going to, Thunder Lightning Strike. Then we're going to uh, listen to Looking Through the Eyes of Love, which comes from the Partridge Family Notebook. Mm-hmm came out in 1972 so let's give a listen to looking through the eyes of love everyone here we go in the 
eyes of the world I'm a loser just wasting my time I can't make a dime In the eyes of the world Being born was my first big mistake I can't get a break But in the eyes of my woman I stand Like a hero, a giant A man who's as tall as can be Any fool can see So that was uh, Looking Through the Eyes of Love, Mary. And, um, okay, so that number four song, so that was number three. Number four is, <laughs> I mostly chose this song, Mary, for the title of this song. Okay, that's a good reason to choose a song. Because it's so classic. It's so classically blind to what you're trying to, what your song is actually saying. It's called, Mary, ready for this? This song is from Crossword Puzzle mm-hmm. from 1973. The album features a crossword puzzle that you can do on the cover, by the way. Uh, the song is called I Got Your Love All Over Me. <laughs> Here we go, everyone. <laughs> I was the one who said never again. Let's be friends Who needs love anyway But since I've met you I can't forget you 
without a sound Got your love. I got your love all over me from Crossroads Puzzle 1973. I've got your love all over me. It's in my heart. It's on my face. And I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we're having a few laughs while we're listening, everyone. Okay, uh, here's the final song, number five. Now, I just want to point out one of my one of my uh, criteria when I was choosing songs was that they had to be on a different album each one. So we've had songs from Up to Date. We had a song from the Partridge Family album. We had a song from the Partridge Family Notebook. We had a song from... Question. The Crossword Puzzle, yep. How many albums did they do? I think they did seven altogether. So you're basically just picking your favorite from each album. I left one album off because I do not... I don't think much that album. Their final album, Hmm. which was called... uh... Uh, I have an important update. Mm, What? I just screenshotted the lyrics and sent them to Duncan and said... This song is called I Got Your Love All Over Me, and these are the lyrics. This is a serious song. And he said, ha, 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 gross. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution, Duncan. <laughs> um, I can't remember the last one's called, but yeah, I, I, that one's kind of more like, it's almost uses more like funk and soul kind of sounds rather than the, the bubblegum pop of, oh, the, okay. of the first it's, albums. It's not really their forte. So, so one, two, three, four, five, six albums, and then they did a Christmas album. Oh, okay. Called the Partridge Family Christmas album. Unsurprising. But I did not choose a song from that. Right. So let's get to the last choice. This is from Shopping Bag from 1972. This is If You Ever Go. Here we go. This is the final song of our uh, top five alternative Partridge Family songs. If you ever put me down, I would fall right. The ground couldn't make it. 
song of our top five part alternative partridge family songs that was if you ever go from shopping bag and mary i was wrong there's actually eight albums i oh. forgot about i forgot about uh, sound magazine oh that's another one i didn't choose a song from that's a strange name sound Considering magazine most yeah. of their band or their album names are like the partridge family presents an album you know <laughs> well i think they meant went more for like around the house kind of stuff because you've got well up to date is like a calendar mm-hmm. basically the Partridge Family album looks like a, a family album, like a photo album. Right. Then there's the Partridge Family notebook. Okay. So like your school notebook. Yes. Then there's Crossword Puzzle, something okay. that you'd find around the house. Sure. And then Shopping Bag, okay. which actually came with a Partridge Family shopping bag, plastic mm. shopping bag in the record. Okay. Or in like the that. sleeve. What's that? That's... Why? Because it's garbage. Why? Then you could have, you could use a shopping bag. They're just like, here's some garbage. Is that garbage? Here's some garbage for you to throw out. <laughs> Don't throw it out. Keep it's like, it. Someone gave you worth something one day. Someone gave you a present and there's like an old chocolate bar wrapper. And then the, la- the last one's bulletin board hmm. with, you know, the idea of like having a thing to put like little family stuff on so people know what's coming up and what's mm-hmm. happening. Okay. I think that's a bit of a stretch. No. That's, that was pretty common in people's houses. Bulletin boards? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They had invented like whiteboard, like magnetic boards yet and stuff like that. Right. No okay. One, no one had thought of that. So. Right. People tend to have different ways of organizing. There'd be like a big mess of stuff thumbtacked to a, mm-hmm. to a bulletin board. Yeah. Like, lost dog. <laughs> Apartment wanted. <laughs> that kind of stuff. All Car right. for sale. So I I did want to do this answer to Louis' last show, but I felt like we were already at 20-something songs. So mm, I think we had yeah. almost 30 songs in that episode. So Fair. we didn't need five more. And plus, I knew that I had a song in the offing. I knew I had a Partridge Family song. In my back Coming pocket up, that was right. on a mixtape and waiting, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Mary. Yes. I just remembered. I didn't ask you what you thought of uh, Morning Rider on the Road. Oh, it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't as good as the Go Team's <laughs> version, version of it. You know? Where they took the song, where yeah. they stole the song. Where they used a part of it, where they sampled it. Okay. So you're going to say, it's all right. I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw up. It is very interesting that okay. that song is not credited on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's yeah. Like no one knows that it's there. Yeah. Just us, Mary. We're the only ones. I guess so. We're the, we know the secret. I'm going to send Ninja an email. <laughs> hey, Ninja. Well, Ninja doesn't do the songs. She's this hot. She just, she just Yeah, she comes in to do the songs. What's the name? Basically. Ian something? Ian Parsons mm. is the leader of the Go team. Right. And the thing about the Partridge family, Mary, this is, here's something about the Partridge family I'll tell you right now. Mm-hmm. David Cassidy, fantastic singer. Like just a naturally great singer. I don't right. think he's someone who, I, I don't know his history or anything like that he may mm-hmm. be trained for years right but i feel like he was just one of those people kind of like mickey dolan's and the, and the monkeys right. but he's a better singer than mickey dolan's and the monkeys mm-hmm. but just someone who like was hired for a job mm-hmm. and then they're like oh my god this guy's a really talented singer as well like, i think they I hired imagine, him because he's cute yeah but now we've got i imagine a lot of people who go into performance yeah study multiple forms of performance sure right sure. like especially in those days yeah like if you're going into like if you're studying, like if you're at school, mm-hmm. like say you're in university and you're studying like performing arts, yeah, you would probably take courses in 
acting, dance, music, right? Like you'd probably not just pick like only one thing mm-hmm. and study just that one thing. I imagine you, so if you if you were set on performing, yeah, I imagine that it's sort of easier for you if you have a wide range of skills. You would think so. Yeah. Although movies, I think, draw less on that than they did in the That's past. That's fair, but like theater but, yeah. is mm-hmm. a place where a lot of people get their start. Sure, sure. And theater, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need to be able of... to do music and acting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dance as well, probably. For sure. Yeah, but yeah. So I just like. Uh, I mean, Partridge Family is just kind of in that sweet spot for music for me, where it's that you know bubblegum sound, you know, kind of lushly produced, lots of lots of back, lots of backing vocals, and mm-hmm. and everything that I just love about music. So so yeah, they're just right up my particular alley. Let's put it that way. That's fair. Um, I think that all their songs sound too much like they're from musicals, mm. which you know. They're I'm, not not from musicals. I have no Although, problem with that. But can I just say something? Sure can. Which is, what, what's the name of the song that you actually played on the... Morning Rider on the Road? That was not actually played in the show. It wasn't? Nope. Really? Yeah. Is this a, only an album track? Yeah. Yeah, it was like a B-side too, right? It was on the album. It Wasn't it the B-side on, on a single too? It could have been, but it was It was on the album. It's the first song and it's the second side. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it was. I'm pretty sure it was the B-side mm-hmm. for a single from the album. Yeah, this, this version's better. Like, I... I have uh, the CDs for for most of their albums now, so I was able to I was able to take the the scratchy version off of the if, on the original mixtape. It was kind of a scratchy version for my record, but I, I replaced it for this version. All right, let's move on from the Partridge Family, Mary, and let's get a little can con going here. Can con. This is a uh, this is a band. It, sorry, sorry it ahead. was sorry quickly. Yeah. It was the B-side for I'll Meet You Halfway, okay. 1971. All right. Sure. Often they would draw songs from the records and use them as B-sides. Mm-hmm. But I think it was because one... Because they were producing so many records, yeah. they just didn't have the material. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. But it was one of two, I think, two songs on this album not played in the show. Mm. The problem for the Partridge Family as like a, as like a record-selling unit was that Bell Records, who were, who were releasing the albums, were like releasing so much con- like so much material like almost up to three albums a year at some years, that it just oversaturated the market and it really affected their sales. Like by the time you got to near the end of the group, even though they're still making good albums, they just weren't selling at all because everyone was really tired of them because it was like every month it felt like there was probably like a new song or new album was out. So it was just too much, too much. And you could see they're thinking, they're thinking like, well, they're popular on TV right now, so we got to strike while the iron's hot, put out as much, put out as many albums as we can. And then we'll, then we'll, uh, you know, sell sell what we can, and then when no one's interested anymore, we'll we'll move on. Okay, let's Mary, let's move on to our CanCon. This is a band that we've played many times in the show, many times. Can I guess? Sure. Is it Canadian no. content? Is it Sloan? No. Is it Rufus Wainwright? No. Is it Destroyer? No. Is it AC Newman? No. The New Proverbers? No. Uh, is it Gang of Losers? That's no, not... the Deers. <laughs> no. Uh, is it? Running out of Canadian bands, everyone. Um, the American flag. Nope. I don't know. Who could it be? Well, here's a little band that you may not have heard of, Mary. What? I might not have heard of yeah. them. Yeah. This band's called Local Rabbits. Who? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a song from their second album, Basic Concept, that came out in 1998. Wait, sorry. Hmm? Who I say as if that isn't my username on Spotify and everything else. <laughs> no one else is ever going to have that username. That's true. Because three people know of the band. <laughs> More now. We're spreading the we're spreading the good word. Yeah. I've actually met two people in real life who the band. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So let's listen to Lowdown on the Download 
from Basic Concept. Here we go, everyone.
thoughts on local rabbits? Like? Dislike? The band or the song specifically? I don't know. Whatever you want to answer. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yes this is probably one of my favorite songs from this album. Me too. It's Me Yeah, too. like it's... It is a good album. It's kind it's, of reminiscent not... of the first album. Yeah. But oh, just with totally. a little different in, instrumentation, like kind of differently yes, produced. Absolutely. I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, I was like, which album is Lowdown on the Download on? And then I was kind of kind of like surprised when mm. I realized it was the second album. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. oh, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the, the flute kind of gives it away because there's no flute on the first album. Mm, yeah. And the kind of slight kind of turn to, I don't know. It how, is what like the... less jokey it is less jokey that's than true. all the songs on the first like all the i mean even the good songs like sally ann style denial yeah they're all pretty jokey yeah, yeah. which is not like a bad thing nope. it's just that i think for the second album they were kind of like we're gonna get professional we're a real band now we've got a real producer who's gonna produce us well apparently the producer was a real strict yeah uh guy who uh wasn't too fond of them goofing off goofing off so boys. yeah yeah. So he kept kept the noses to the grindstone and uh, produced a produced a pretty good record. I mean, it's, I personally I prefer the first record to this one, but I prefer the first and the third to this one. But it still has some good stuff on it. Yeah. Nightingales. And, oh yeah, Nightingale is a great song. Yeah. And uh, this song. Uh, uh, high school hierarchy is high good. High school hierarchy is good. Yep. And uh, BK stomp your BKs down. Yep. And stuff. Those are good songs. But yeah, overall, I just feel like it doesn't quite hang together as a record. Mm-hmm. Whereas. Um, the first and third album, yeah, they're much stronger in terms of songs and everything. But it's still really good. It's still real fun. Well, let's move on then. Oh, I, I also like read how you read. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, did we say, wait, did we play the song? Yeah. Oh, okay. Did we say that it was from 1998? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. I forgot. I forgot. This is not much to say about, no, because we've, we've talked, talked about them many local, times. So, no, we yeah, have. Yeah. They're yeah. very good. I just love local rabbits. We do. I'm glad that you like them so much. They're, they're so good. How could I not? They're fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to a not CanCon. What? But a band we've heard before. Oh, okay. And this is a song that's very personally meaningful to me. Mm. I will explain on the other side of it. This is Jeffrey mm-hmm. Frederick and the Clamtones. The song is Oh Me, Oh My from their great and only album. Spiders in the Moonlight. From 1977. 77. No, 77. That's right, dear. <laughs> very good. Here we go, everyone. What a smart daughter I have. <laughs> Didn't know whether to get my tail up this morning. There was nothing to do on me. Truck don't start and my horse be missing shoes. I sold them all. There ain't nothing singing them blues. I had a visit from the electric company meter man Said, boy, what you doing here? So said, I gave him whiskey so he didn't turn me in Just said, don't you turn that meter off again Oh, me, oh my Put it back again Put it back again Landlord caught me sneaking by her trailer She said, oh, won't you step in for a spell 
I said, why, certainly, and she said, have you money for me? Well, I says, I said, no, so she give me hell. She started hollering about something she said that I threw out, and I said, look like rubbish, not in me. She said, well, maybe so, but if you want to stay in out of the snow, just get up my money, honey, don't you throw my garbage, no. Put it back again Hold me, oh my Put it back again But I do have compassion on a man would work Hey, the very next thing I knew I was parking out her calf pants Bringing hay, I was shoveling a horse dung too She said, when you get through Get the snow off my chicken coop But don't you, don't you get it on my raspberry bushes That snow was three feet deep It was soaking wet and the roof was steep And I had Look out for them berries, call me, go now, now. Oh, to me, oh my, what am I to do? No, 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 no. Oh, to me, oh my, what am I to do? We're back. That was oh me, oh my. Mary, thoughts, feelings. So, so as as we were driving up to the cabin this past weekend, yeah, we were listening to. Um, I get Dad was saying that someone had gone around and asked all these. Was it musicians he had asked? No, it was user. It was like I I'm I am a member of a Music I don't know what, a you yeah mu- like a forum or whatever that um, people like to share compilations and things mm-hmm. like that they put together. And one of them asked everyone to contribute like their their desert island song, like mm-hmm. a song they would take to a desert island if they ha- if they had to take one song to a desert island. What would that song be? And uh, so you know, a bunch of people responded to it, and he came up with like ten CDs worth of 
Like he divided them into CD length. Yeah. Um, which I think is smart to do it that way. But he divided them into 10 different CDs worth of alphabetical order, all these songs by people name, chose. By, by suggested name or Alph- by artist uh, name? Uh, suggested name, yeah. Title right. name, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, we were listening to that on, on our drive up to the cabin. And some of it was grueling and some of it was good. Yeah. But one thing that we were talking about was thinking about it less as a desert island song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a hard thing to decide. Sure. And more as what's one song sort of above all other songs that you would want to contribute to a mix. Yeah. Like if you're trying to like introduce a song to people that maybe don't know it. Yeah. You know, what song song would that be? Yeah. That people can go like, oh, this -hmm. song is so good. I want to know more about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. This would be mine. This would be your song? I think so. Yeah. You'd put it out there. Would it be be a local rabbit song? Well. To me, it's so evocative of that period. And when you read about Michael Hurley living in Vermont, living in a, an old house um, that's unheated in the wintertime. Yeah. And, you know, they don't have any money because they're musicians and they rely on gigs to get the money. And, but gigs they don't, and the kindness of strangers. Yeah. <laughs> and, but there's no gigs to be had because there's no bars in the area. And so they're really like kind of struggling. And it's Vermont in the winter. Yeah. And that also doesn't help. And yeah, and I feel like this song kind of grows out of that same sort of thing. And I, I found it fascinating as a as a kid or as a teen, as a, as a, a young as a young adult. I just found the it fascinating the idea of people living so by choice. Yeah, living so close to the bone, mm-hmm. you know, like just like just you know inches away from absolute disaster, and, and it's just kind of fascinating. Yeah, and it's also fascinating because it kind of harkens back to a time when. I don't know if people would react the same way. And I feel like Jeffrey Frederick's songs are almost always true to a degree. You know, like there's something about them that's true. And I have a friend who I know illegally hooked up his power to the to uh, to the meter. Like he broke the meter mm-hmm. so that he could have power to his house. I'm pretty sure I know who that is. And got in trouble for it as well. <laughs> but I feel like the time of doing that is over now. Like if you did it now, you get in way more trouble than you would have gotten then. Yeah. You wouldn't have got like, like a talking to like, it, a, don't, it, don't you just turn that meter off again? Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Like, yeah, just you can't bribe the meter guy with whiskey anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like it, it definitely does feel like <laughs> it would be harder to live like that now. Yeah. Like that's what fascinated me. It felt like you could take like five years out of your life and then kind of get it going again and it wouldn't have counted against you that much hmm. you know mm-hmm. like in those days like you still could have had like a decent life on the other side of it yeah if you took five years out of your life now and just you know screwed around mm-hmm. and, and you know just drank yeah and you know did whatever lived and in like a trailer park and lived yeah did lived. like chores for your landlady to stay yeah, there yeah. and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah like yeah, how, how what would it be on the other side of that when yeah. you finally said, well, you know, maybe I better get my act together. Yeah, like if you go and apply for a job, yeah. every person's gonna look at your resume and be like, what What did you do for these five years? Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, and how? Yeah, how do you explain that? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know. when you apply for you apply to university, they're gonna be like, well, you're kind of old. Yeah, your school marks are from five years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what have you done lately? Like, yeah. there's just so many like problems with that. Whereas mm-hmm. it just feels like at that time, yeah, you probably weren't. You probably weren't as far ahead as someone who like was serious, yeah, and seriously pursued their education and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But you know, you could still like. It doesn't feel as much like you're imploding your life. Exactly. As, like whereas now it, it feels like yeah, there's just sort of higher consequences for things like that. Well, well anyone at that time who who got into the job market, houses were accessible. Like houses, yeah. houses were affordable. You know, like you could 
buy a house mm-hmm. it wasn't like an impossible to dream thing yeah. i mean i think here in vancouver it's more of an impossible dream yeah like i know that people like there's a a local um house renovation show yeah. called love it or list of vancouver sure a spinoff of love it or list it original which is based in toronto originally okay um and i know that people when they watch love it or list of vancouver who aren't from vancouver are like what do these people do that they have so much money? Yeah. How can, how come they can afford to buy it like a million dollar house? Yeah. And also, if they can afford to buy a million dollar house, how come their renovation budget is so small? Yeah. It's like, well, because they don't have a million dollars. No one yeah. has a million dollars. No. Like no one who works. Like these people, they're, they're it's like a guy who works in IT. Yeah. And his wife, who's like a nurse, like or a like nurse that. or like a teacher, or yeah. like yeah. Yeah, they're just people who, like, have, like, a university, like, just, like, a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. and they've just been, like, working for a while, and they probably had kids a little bit late yeah. to be able to afford a house eventually, mm-hmm. right? And, like... Yeah, they probably have... Uh, they uh, Lots of people in Vancouver have mortgage helpers. They're, oh, yeah. It's legal now to have laneway houses, so you have a... An income suite. So you, where, a, where a garage once would have been, now it's a... Now it's a uh, little house. Suite. Yeah. Like, yep. So you have income from that. And like the other thing is, yeah, if people people are counting suite. on their house to sell for a million. Yeah. And then they're going to buy another one for 1.2. <laughs> so what they have is $200,000. Yeah. They don't have a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. They're hoping to get that from their house selling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like a doctor or like. I don't know. Yeah, some sort of professional, or, some, or yeah, or incredibly more, lucky that yeah, you just or happened, incredibly lucky. You had or some like, happenstance that made made it possible yeah. for you. I used to work. I used to work at a daycare in Vancouver, and yeah, there was like one family where both parents were lawyers. There was another family where one parent was a lawyer and the other one worked for Boeing, I think, in okay. Seattle. Yeah. So yeah. he would commute to Seattle and he would live there like five days a week, <sighs> and then come back to be with his family like on the weekends. Yeah, and. It's like that's what you got to do if you yeah. want to afford a house in Vancouver. Yeah. This was this was in like a historically poor Chinese Italian area, yeah, yeah, right. But it was like everyone's being priced out of it, yeah. And yeah, yeah like I th- I know that I look at houses in other places. It's like this house was built by designed by a student of Frank Lloyd Wright, and it's selling for hundred dollars. Like, <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? But then you look at the town though, and you're like, well, well yeah, exactly. No one can no one can get a job there. No, so yeah, that's, that's the problem, that's right? The difference, right? Like you can't. I guess some some Californian will probably move there because then they'll just work yeah, remotely. Yeah, telecommute or whatever. Telecommute or, yeah. or you know, and then and that's that's what's happening a lot in um in Vancouver right now. Mm. Like a lot of people that I. I know are moving out yeah. and working remotely. Yeah. Right. Or there are people who have jobs that they can do anywhere, like teaching social work. Sure. Yeah. Right. But they're moving to the interior because they can't afford to live in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Which sucks because if a city doesn't have teachers <laughs> and social workers and people yeah. who work at Tim Hortons. Yeah. Then what are you going to do? <laughs> well, that's exactly Where right. Where do those people live? Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. I'm just going to put a little smiley face beside this song, Mary, because I think you love it. Now, the reason that I love this song so much, Mary, of course, mm-hmm. is that it inspired my comic. Rounders. My comic Rounders, yeah. yeah which borrows a little bit from, from this song mm-hmm. in the sense that the character wants to go somewhere and he can't. Right. And so he tries to uh, he tries to finagle a horse into uh, into taking him where he wants to go, which doesn't work out very well for him. Yeah, horses don't like to do that so much. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Especially not without tack. It's not. It's not completely. It's not wholesale taken from the song, but kind of in the spirit of the song as well. Like 
um, abroad. The second story, which I never finished, I did finish writing it, but I never drew it. Was um, the, I stole the story? I stole the the story of in this like the overarching story. I stole stole from my friend, who also ripped off his electricity mm. by by illegally attaching his uh, wire to the hydro line. <laughs> it sounds really dangerous. Like this is crazy to me. Don't don't do that, everyone. Just leave hydro lines alone. Don't pretend you know what you're doing around hydro lines. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, but I did. I did sort of get uh, a taste of this life at a farmer's market a few weeks ago. Okay. I was helping out there. Yeah. I was helping my boyfriend's mom, who was doing her first ever, first ever market stall at the farmer's market. And she what was, was she selling? Baked goods, mostly. Oh, okay. Some jams as well, but sure. It's a hard jam market to get into in Summerland. Is that right? There's a lot, I guess. Well, that's an orchard. It's it's an orchard city. It's an orchard city. Yeah, so there's like, a, lot of, a lot of jams. Yeah, the the road that they live on is entirely orchards. Mm-hmm. It's like you drive down and it's like apple, grape, apple, apple, grape. <laughs> it's like all orchards and vineyards. Yeah, peaches, apples, peaches, grapes. Yeah. yeah, everything. Um, cherries, lots of cherries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get into jam because there's a lot of established jam people. Yeah. Um, but the baked goods sold very well. That's good. And there was a stall next to us that was selling vegetables, and they were bartering. Okay. So they were like, oh, I'll give you some of this cornbread if I can have some of the tios. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's part of it too, I guess. Yeah. Sure. It reminds me of Stepping Stones, the Lisa yeah. Nisley book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Very good book. I finished it the other day. Oh, good. That was good. All right. So Mary, let's get let's get on to our next okay, song here. What's the next song, Dad? This song is uh, more CanCon. What? For one thing. This is Neil Young. I know people know who Neil Young is. We've also done a Neil Young, I'm Neil not, Young song. Before. I'm not absolutely certain what 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 brought me on to putting this song on. I think it one I'm thing. I'm not sure either. One thing was it's part of my uh, top five. One of my t- like top five songs with with spoken spoken parts. Right. This song is definitely in there, along with sure is along with uh, "Ain't No Mountain High Enough" uh-huh. by by Don by uh, I was gonna say Donna Summer. That's not right D- at all. Not Dionne Warwick. Not Dionne Warwick either. Uh, Can we remember? She sang with the Supremes, but now it's gone out of her. Diana Ross. Diana and... Ross. We were, we were in the D. <laughs> we were just, got ourselves all mixed up. Diana, Dion. But this is, uh, well, Mary, I love songs that have raw emotion in them. Okay. And I would say this song is very raw. Sure. It's a very raw song. This whole album is very raw. Is this after the Gold Rush? This is from Tonight's the Night. Oh, okay. Which, came, which was recorded in 1973, but came out in 1975. And uh, let's give it a listen, everyone. This is Tired Eyes by Neil Young. Well, they shot four men in a cocaine deal. And he left them lying in an open field. Full of old cars with bullet holes in the mirror. Tried to do his best, but he could not. Please take my advice. I wasn't supposed to go down that way 
But they burned his brother, you know, and they left him lying in the driveway. They let him down with nothing. He tried to do his best, but he could not. back mary from your from your uh, comments before we started playing the song i feel like you're going to give this the frowny face i am not convinced that this is a song why because it's just talking it was singing mm. i think that a song has to be more than 50 singing okay in order i think a song has to be more than 75 percent singing to qualify as a song mm. this is probably 40 60 okay okay 40s talking, 60s singing? Nope. Other way. Yep. Hmm. It's a lot of talking. I find, this, I... I find this song immensely moving. Okay. I have to tell you that. I just find it... Well, let's talk about the song. Let's talk about the album. Okay. Tonight's the Night. Because maybe that will help you understand what Neil Young was doing with this song. So, uh, 
Neil Young put in an album, Mary, called Harvest. Yes. And it was a smasheroo success. Mm -hmm. His biggest success ever in his career. Mm -hmm. And then he later put Harvest. Which also, well, it probably was a success as well. It's mm -hmm. kind of a callback to, yeah. to Harvest. But Harvest was big. It yes. was big. It let him buy his ranch in Northern California. Right. You know. Uh, so he started, well, he was um, planning and rehearsing for a tour that was, the idea of the tour was that it would, it would uh, follow up on the success of Harvest. Young was forced to fire his friend and guitarist, Danny Witten, from the tour. Oh, okay. Because Danny Witten was completely useless because he was addicted to drugs. Mm. So he couldn't even play his guitar anymore. He was so far gone. And so Young had no choice but to fire him and send him back to L.A. Right. And a little while later, Witten died of a drug overdose. Right. And of course, Neil Young blamed himself for that. Hmm. feeling that he had given up on his friend and put him in a dangerous situation. And it wasn't his fault because it was choices that someone was making that were very bad, but they were choices that that person was making that yeah. led him to this point. And I mean... And he it, died. It's not up... It's not... It was not his responsibility. No, it's not. Yeah. But you still feel... Yeah, no, you still feel responsible. So that weighed heavily on him. And then a short time later on... So that was November 18th, 1972, when Danny Witten died. Then on June 4th in 1973, Neil Young's roadie, this guy named Bruce Berry, who he'd who had been roading for, for Neil Young for, you know, half a decade, mm -hmm. died of a drug overdose as well, died of, of heroin and cocaine. Oh, my goodness. And once again, it wasn't Neil Young's fault, but something else that weighed on him. Yeah. You know? And I mean, yeah, like, it's hard when people around you that you're close with die. Sure. And it's especially hard when it feels like you could have done something to prevent it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? And like... So it was something yeah. in his life on Harvest, for instance, there's a song. It's a live song called The Needle and the Damage Done. It's a very, very great... It's a great song. It's a very, mm -hmm. very touching song. And that kind of hints at w this album. So he did a he did an album uh, in between the two, but which was kind of like a live version of new songs called Time Fades Away. And then... I guess he was just sort of driven to do this album, which is basically, uh, he formed a new group called the Santa Monica Flyers. And basically, he it was basically like a bunch of people he was already working with, but he kind of brought them together. So he had Nils Lofgren, who played with him on After the Gold Rush, mm -hmm. um, on guitar and piano. Ben Keith, who was on Harvest, on pedal steel guitar. And then Crazy Horse, the group that Danny Witten had formed and was... Had you know, it become Neil Young's backing band. He took Crazy Horse's Billy Talbot, the bass player, and then the drummer, Ralph Molina, and he brought them together as a group. And they recorded this song, or this album, in a couple of days. It was just like a, just like a late night session, this sort of a cri de cour, this, you know, this sort of, this, um, you know what I mean by cri de cour? Like this, this sort of uh, cry from the heart. Right. You know, because, you know, obviously it's partly inspired by the death of, of Witten and Barry. Bruce Barry is mentioned in Tonight's the Night, uh, the song Tonight's the Night. And it's kind of a harrowing elegy, bidding farewell to 60s idealism. So, you know, there's this a promise of the 60s, right? The idea that spiritual enlightenment was, spiritual enlightenment and peace and love were all within our reach, that, that drugs were going to br bring us to this place, that, you know, peace and love was going to bring us to this great new place. And then we're in the 70s, you know? Mm. And... And suddenly, like, the idea of enlightenment, it just kind of sank into addiction and brutality as people became, you know, as people became addicts, as people became supplier providers of to addicts, you know. Um, and it was, you know, already happening in the late 60s. This is not, it wasn't new. 
you know the the rounders have that song the stp song which pretty yep. much like sums up the whole hippies call it stp yeah the whole switchover from from like the idea of good times and fun to yeah. now you're lacing you know you're lacing drugs with stp and causing this super addictive stuff that's yeah. causing all these problems right mm. and messing everybody up and then heroin comes in and yeah. cocaine and and that's not to say that neil young wasn't a drug wasn't using drugs himself he was famously oh, yeah. uh Martin Scorsese had to like d- delay the the release of the band film The Last Waltz because he needed to black out this giant rock of cocaine that was hanging from Neil Young's nostril during the filming of the film, and oh, it was really? just like right there. So they oh, had to goodness. like they had to like get it out of the movie. Yeah, and that was you know a couple years after. But so part of the song, Mary, is then it's kind of like it's a it's a story, right? It's about cocaine deals and murder and people who are lost in their lives you know that they were this before and now they're this Mm -hmm. you know and they didn't mean to get to this this place yeah and that's you know and so he's telling them to open up your tired eyes you know Mm -hmm. see where you are in your life yeah right and yeah it's quite to me it's quite an emotional song i really i find it very emotional and uh unfortunately the record company thought the album was too harrowing (laughs) And mm-hmm. too too bleak, right? And so they didn't didn't want to release it. And while they were hemming and hawing, uh, Neil Young released a different album called On the Beach, which is also a pretty harrowing album as well. It kind of details Despite being called On the Beach. It, it, it well, it's not about it's not that beach. It's a different beach, and okay. it's about you know it details like Charles Manson and that and those aspects of the sixties as well. So right. it's you know it has its own its own kind of. Uh, it's a more melodic exploration, but it's still kind of bleak. Mm. It's called the Ditch Trilogy, the, these four albums, Time Fades Away, On the Beach, and Tonight's the Night. Because Neil Young said um, after the success of Harvest, he just it seemed he couldn't help himself but to drive the car into the ditch, you know, <laughs> after all that success. Yeah. So that's um, I think that's pretty common for for artists. Yeah. Especially especially people who sort of struggle with any sort of like mental health stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to sabotage yourself yeah than it is um to feel like it's out of your control right like you want to sure you want to make the decisions that ruin your career rather than (laughs) just having it happen to you which is like yeah that's that could be for sure and that's probably that's that's a control freak that's a control personality problem too right because it's easier you can control your own demise right and that's something i was talking about with a friend of mine who was a was a junkie and i said do you ever think that i asked just asked him out of curiosity i said do you ever think that part of why you were a junkie was because you liked to be in control and it gave you a sense of control over your life even if it was even if it was like a self-destructive control and he said oh yeah for sure you know you always knew where you were you always knew what you needed and you always knew how to get to that point Mm -hmm. uh the fact that everything you're doing was a disaster was besides the point yeah and the other thing is it's you're doing it to yourself Mm -hmm. right it's not it's not happening and, to you because of other people. Sure. Like, and most people who are doing that feel that they deserve it as well. So mm. it's part of their own mm-hmm. kind of guilt about them, whatever, whatever guilt they're bearing. Yeah. You know, and this guy was a Catholic, uh, grew up Catholic. There so he's got a lot of guilt he's walking around with. So he's, you know, he's, he's already worthless. Mm-hmm. So you might as well, you know, just destroy yourself. What the hell? Who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah so after Young did On the Beach... A couple of years later, he had recorded a new album called Homegrown. And this album detailed his breakup with his girlfriend, the actress Carrie Snodgrass. But then 
his friend and a member of the band, this guy named Rick Danko, said, you know, you should really release Tonight's the Night. That's a fantastic album, and you're just sitting on it, and no one's going to hear it. Like, you, people got to hear that album. It's really important. And so Neil Young's like, yeah, maybe maybe I should put that out. So he shelved Homegrown, and he put out Tonight's the Night. And Homegrown sat on the shelf until 2020. It was released this year for oh, the really? first time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Neil Young's been going back into his archives and doing these fantastic archive collections and stuff, cool. which are really great. So I'm hoping for, apparently, according to Scott Young, his father, who is a journalist, Canadian journalist, according to his book about Neil Young, there is a longer version of Tonight's the Night, like the album, that's even more brut- brutal and harrowing than what was actually given to the record company. Hmm. And um, Neil Young was listening to some stuff and, and uh, David... Uh, David Briggs, the, his producer anyway, I'm pretty sure his name was David Briggs, he mentioned that album and Neil Young's like, do we still have that? Oh man, we got to put that out one day. So hopefully while he's doing these archive stuff, he'll he'll get to that. Uh, maybe he has already, I don't know. But he has, he's been, he's been working, he put out the first archive series in 2009, uh, which went up to 72, I believe, which is pre Tonight's the Night, unfortunately. And then he's been working on the next series since then, and it still hasn't come out. Now, it's supposed to come out next year in 2021, but we'll see. I'm not holding my breath because it's been supposed to come out for the last 10 years. Mm. Okay, last song, everyone. Last song. Uh, so there's two cases where I second-guess myself in this record, or in this t- this mixtape. Okay. Originally, I had Beck's song, uh, Deborah. Oh, that would be good. But I said I decided to move it to a novelty mix. Yes. Because I, th- I thought I needed some stronger songs on that. That's fair. And also, two novelty songs on this first half. Yeah. It might have been a bit much. Yeah. So, instead I put on this song. This is the Feelies from their 1986 album, The Good Earth. This song is called Slipping Bracket Into Something, end bracket, as Mary likes to say. So, let's give it a listen, everyone. Here we go.
was the feelies. Mare? Yes. I, I am prepared to draw a happy face beside this song. What do you think of it? You're, what do you mean you're prepared to draw a happy face? Why? Besides the feelies. Why? Because I think you like this song. Why? Because it's fun. It's like got a great guitar bit to it, and mm -hmm. it's it's a, it's a chugging song. Uh-huh. It chugs along in a good way. Mm -hmm. What do you think of it? Yeah, it was fun. You liked it? Yeah, it was fine. Fine? It was fun. It was fine. Which way? Is it a ha smiling face or a flat mouth? It was fine. Fine, flat mouth. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> I really like this song. I think it's I think it's great. I wanted something that was kind of guitar-y, but my kind of guitar. Right. You know, like I know that probably someone who is a really good guitar player like Bob Evans, this is always a problem for me because I don't play guitar. Like I cannot I cannot play in, in instruments. So when I hear like a guitar thing that I like, I'm like, oh, this is so great. And then I'll play it for a guitar player who's really good, like say Paul Leahy. Mm -hmm. A couple times this happened, I'd be like, oh, Paul, you got to hear this guitar part. And I play it for him and he'd listen and be like, no, nah, it's okay. Yeah, of course, because you could play it easily. I'm impressed by it because I'm a dum dum. I'm like I'm like a lo local yokel. Do you think this is mean? Sorry, this isn't directed at you, Bob. Do you think guitar players, when they hear people be like, "Oh, here's a really good guitar part," they're listening to it like, "I could do that. I could do that." Yeah, that's not that impressive. I'm that good. No, I don't know if it's that. I think it's more just kind of like, "Yeah, that's okay," because it's not it's not super impressive to them. Because yeah, they could do that, or they know the trick. Right. That I don't know. Right. Like when I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, that's so cool that they could do that. And he's mm -hmm. like, he's only playing two strings. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that. Yeah. And in fact, to be honest with you, I kind of like when guys just play two strings. Sure. Like I really like kind of like primitive. Um, like super basic. Su super basic stuff. Like a song like this where they're just doing like a simple, you know, strumming thing. But they're also adding like, you know, two guitars and they're kind of having some guitar interplay and stuff like that. Like I enjoy that. It might be simple. But I just enjoy the, the the excitement of it. You know, it make, makes me, it's thrilling to me. It's a thrill. So that's, that's what I enjoy about it. And so I give this song a happy face, Mary. Well, I figured you would since you put it on a mixtape to send mm -hmm. to someone else to say, here are a bunch of songs I really like and I think you will like. The weird, thing about, the weird thing about this song, in fact, the weird thing about the entire album, and I think I put one more song on, some, on another mixtape later on. The weird thing about this album is how quiet the vocals are on it. Mm. Like, they are really low in the mix. Like mm. it's weird to me. Uh, co-produced by Peter Buck from R.E.M. So maybe, but that was like in 86. So they were already past their like, their mumble phase. Hmm. So I don't know what, I don't know what uh, reason for why they mix the mix it so low. But I mean, I know this band were like very taken. You can hear it in their voices. You can hear it in the music they play. They're very taken with the Velvet Underground. Like this right. song is like Velvet Underground, uh, their third album, all over the place. Hmm. Maybe Christopher Nolan mixed this this album. <laughs> you always like to bring that up. Ugh, Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> just mix it with the vocals louder yeah no one wants to hear all the background stuff <laughs> that's what it's like if you're making a science fiction movie get out of here <laughs> all right so mary are you going to give me your overall uh, overall thoughts on the uh the first side of this mixtape overall i enjoyed it that's good i'm glad to hear that there's you know there's a lot of smiles here the first two songs obviously not not great didn't help didn't help at all you gave me gave me a frown yeah you gave me a flat mouth big old big old uh, XCC though you started smiling, mm -hmm, yes. a, lot of, a lot of smiles until yep. we got to uh, tired eyes, and then you yeah. you jumped off the train and tired eyes. I don't know mm -hmm. why. That's not, that's, you like you didn't find that song affecting in any way, like no, huh? I mean, I think you hearing, should listen to it a bit more. Hearing the story behind it, yeah. is affecting. Yeah, hearing the song in a vacuum is not affecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe if you listen to more of the album, yeah, you know. or I maybe if you listen I, to the song a few times and like, I think if I listen to it now that I know the story behind it, yeah. I will find it affecting. Yeah. But I also think that 
music should be able to stand on its own. No, I agree without with you. the need for context yeah, yeah. to understand it. No, no, you no know? I agree with you. When I first heard it, I didn't know any context of it. I just liked it a lot. Yeah, I like the. I like the mixture of the talking and the, but I like that. I don't. So, so that's, that's, yeah, that's I know. I was going to say, when I heard that, I, when you, we, we've talked about this a little bit and you've said you don't like talking in songs. And when I heard that, when I was listening to Tired Eyes when I was driving, I was like, Mary's not going to like this song. <laughs> mm, well, can't win them all. I mean, the other thing is. It is my dream though, to produce one mixtape where you like all the songs. Oh, interesting. But I haven't got there yet. No. Uh, the other thing <laughs> about. Maybe the next novelty song mix. Ugh, yeah, probably. But uh, the other thing is. Yeah, well, that's fine. He's a acquired taste, probably, or yeah. or I don't know if I should say acquired taste, but definitely someone that not everyone likes for sure. His his voice is very uh um him him. It's very him. Yeah. Very Neil Young. Yeah. All right. Well, Mary. Yes. If listeners would like to comment on this episode, mm-hmm. if they would like to uh, congratulate me on my wonderful choices of Partridge Family songs, mm-hmm. if they want to defend tired eyes from your Philistine, Philistinism. Mm-hmm. If they would like to... Agree with us about how good local rabbits are. Agree with us how good local rabbits are. <laughs> if they would like to send in their own top five mixes for, for a later top five show. Four or just top five Partridge Family songs. Yeah, let's have three <laughs> different versions. That would be great. <laughs> that would be fun. That makes me excited at the idea of that. Uh, yeah. Someone likes the Partridge Family. Oh, I do like... The, I mean... I really do. Like, I mean, I like the monkeys. I like yeah. the Archies. I, yep. like, I really like, I love bubblegum music. You I like really, I'm a real fan of. The Rettles. Rettles aren't so much like that, but I, I really like, like the, I really like prefab music, like mm-hmm. music that is made by studio whizzes, mm-hmm. you know. You like Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's? Mm-hmm. Yep, I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Once again, that's the, not quite studio whizzes, but. Why not? Well. You know, like the Partridge Family was produced by Wes Farrell. Right. He was one of the one of the top producers in Hollywood, one sure. of the really great arrangers, also wrote songs. Okay. You know, like you know, the the monkeys had voice and heart, it had right. had Who Neil did Diamond Archies right And Archie's had Andy Kim. Okay. You know, uh Sugar Sugar. Right. But like Ron Dante did a lot of voices that, for them. Like there's a lot of talent behind these I groups. Don't, I don't think that they need to have like a big name behind them to be a prefab band though. No, no, I'm not talking about, I'm just saying like the like the skill level that was operating behind these bands at this because in la and stuff at that right. time period the wrecking crew you know hell blaine on the drums joe osborne on bass mm-hmm. carol cam bass tommy tedesco on guitar uh you know like all these really great like you know like people could just walk in a door you mm-hmm. say i need this from your instrument just pull it out yeah get pack up their a lot inst- of skill pack their instrument up and go back go into the next session get, mm-hmm. get their next paycheck you know like those those people really they knew what they were doing like yeah. and, you know but they also gave you their best they weren't this they weren't just they weren't slumming it. They didn't yeah. go, they didn't say, oh, well, I, I was doing a, a movie soundtrack earlier this morning. Now I'm doing a rock and roll thing. Ugh, rock and roll. Yeah. I'll give it my minimum effort. No, they, right. everyone got the best from them, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. I They're just, professional musicians. I just they find did that, it because I, they loved it. Yeah, I just find it all fascinating. I find it all fascinating. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Mayor? Yes. The long and the short of it is, how the heck do people write to us? Oh, right. Um, SneakyDragon.com. What is that? It's a website. Okay. Hence the dot com. All right. Makes you can sense now. Go there to make some comments. Sure. You can find our mailing address there. That's true. You can actually find all of our contact information there. If you go to the contact us page. But I'll tell you some other ways to contact us. Yeah. Just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, our Facebook page is Sneaky Dragon. Nice. Our Twitter is Sneaky underscore Dragon. That's true. And our email is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. I see. I see a pattern. 
Is it Sneaky Dragon? It is Sneaky That's Dragon. That's our overlord. <laughs> Sneaky Dragon is yeah. our overlord. Sneaky Dragon podcast is our overlord. Oh, that makes me want to draw a picture of Sneaky Dragon and hang it up over there. This says our overlord. That's good. It's a good idea. I'm going to do that later. To go with the Stu Stu Studio sign? Yeah. Yep. I can't wait to get that up one of these days. <laughs> as soon as I get some drywall in here. Yeah. Now that the roof is on. Cool. Everything takes time, everyone. Sure does. It's called... Sometimes it takes... 15 years. <laughs> it takes a decade, <laughs> but it all comes together eventually. You can't rush. You can't rush perfection because you can't find perfection, actually. is only yeah. good enough. I'm glad that the deck is finally done, though. Oh, yeah. It's really nice eating out there and everything. It is. Yeah. It it uh it has taken our dog's entire life to get it done. <laughs> but he was, you know, yeah, here for the end. He was here for the end of it. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Yep. We did it. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to the the show this week yeah we'll see you in two weeks we will see you in a bye week everyone in a fortnight as we like to say here as you like to say no i think that's a very common a very it's popular not. expression it's not mary i was just reading an article no you weren't it said taking the country by storm it wasn't about bye week but something was taking the country by storm and I, when i read that i thought to myself also bye week taking the country by storm okay do you have any evidence for this uh one of our listeners has used the word because he listens yep but you need more evidence dad okay would you give me a side cast yes that's a good word yeah it's a good word okay bye week don't like it <laughs> because you know why i don't like it why because Fortnite already exists well not everyone plays video games Mary. oh get out of here with that you don't even play video games <laughs> Fortnite, but not the video game <laughs>